Hi, everyone, and welcome to Sneaky Dragon. My name is David Dedrick. And uh, my name is, wait a second, hold it. Boy, boy, what is my name? It's Ian, sir. What? Oh, the ghosts did it all in one night. They changed my name. It was uh, Philibrant before that. I don't care. All right. Hey, you see that turkey in the window? The one that used to be a goose? Yes, but there's the Mandela effect, and now it's a turkey. Anyway, go get that turkey. Yes? And name it Philibrant. <laughs> okay, Ian. All right. Now I got to get back to my podcast. Uh, don't listen to Paul. I don't care. Hi, I'm Ian Boothby. <laughs> Hi, Ian Boothby. That was my little sketch called The Boy Who Changed the Goose's Name. <laughs> that was good. Right. Very good. Which is actually a turkey. In the shop window, it's a turkey. It's actually a turkey, yeah. There was a goose somewhere else in the story, but Louise has corrected us on this. And we've corrected ourselves in past episodes. But it... it Listen, it, there's a weird interdimensional thing, and yeah. sometimes it's a goose, and sometimes it's a turkey. Yeah. Uh, it changes, and depending on the universe you're in at that present time, it's either a turkey or a goose, and that's a good clue uh, as to what universe you're in. So, uh, yeah. you know, check uh, check your local uh, Christmas carol. <laughs> yes. And see. Hmm. Here's the thing. Uh, Muppet yep. Christmas Carol. Okay. Is there any... Um, Never seen it, but okay. Oh, my God. Why? I don't know. I'm okay. a grown-up. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, oh boy, howdy. How are you enjoying our Totally Tintin podcast? Did you did you like that? We just did an episode a couple of weeks ago. Uh, oh, my God. I'm a grown-up. Prove, prove it. Prove it. That is so. Okay, Bill Maher. No, I know. I've never okay, seen Bill it. Mar. I've never seen it. All right. Well, it's worth, your, uh, it's worth your watch. It's like one of the best Muppet things. Oh, really? It's like, yeah, because uh, uh, Michael Caine makes the... Or the directors or producers or whoever was in charge made the really smart decision of he plays it straight as an arrow and plays okay. like a great, just straight out, you know, Scrooge. Yeah. And then, you know, it's the Muppets doing all their shenanigans around him. <laughs> and it's, it's really works. Okay. Yeah. It's a very, very good Christmas. In fact, well, you know a what? lot of times it's people always say, uh, people always say Sim is the first Christmas carol that, you know, the best. And then number two is usually uh, Muppets. Wow. Yeah. Well, I will, uh, maybe I'll take advantage of this Christmas season. And yeah. I'll give it a watch. Do you have uh, Disney Plus? I have Disney Plus. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, then, goddamn, just go go watch it. Like, <laughs> why are we even doing this? Go watch it. You'll enjoy it. I will give it a. I'll give it a watch. I promise. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll make the family watch it. It may make you like Rizzo the Rat. I like Rizzo the Rat. Well, then you might like him even more. <laughs> right. Some people are not fans of Rizzo the Rat, and uh, this <clears throat> will. Uh, he's very appealing in this. I think that's because he's kind of a newish character, new and. Term, terms of the Muppets, he's new. Right. It's kind of like calling, like, All I Want for Christmas is You uh, a new Christmas song when it's, like, 40 years old, you know, but, mm-hmm. or whatever. Or maybe Last Christmas. And Is it like, oh, I don't want to listen to new Christmas songs. That's okay. Here's one that's 40 years old. <laughs> I found the name of a, of a Muppet that uh, I never knew the name of this Muppet. And uh, it, it used to be on Sesame Street. He was a... Uh, almost like rectangular, long rectangular blue Muppet that okay. was kind of... Uh, One of the monsters? Yeah, creepy looking. Okay. And his uh, name is uh, the Beautiful Day Monster. 
Really? He's the beautiful day monster because he was on, uh, he first appeared uh, during Ed Sullivan, an Ed Sullivan show. Oh, I see. And it was a little girl, it was like the little girl who's like, the love of the little girl, that girl. The, the Muppet little girl. The Muppet little girl. Okay, also and on Sesame Street. Also on Sesame Street, yeah, yeah, usually playing piano or some such or being a little girl. Yeah. So uh, the gag in this was, she comes out, what a beautiful day, it's a beautiful day. And, and uh, he comes out and goes, friggin' it, smack it, wiggin' it. And then all of a sudden it starts raining. <laughs> and uh, she's like, oh, well, sometimes the rain's pretty nice. And she's like, oh, if I got this, I got it. And the rain goes away. Okay. And like whatever she she likes, like she's like, what a beautiful bird. And he brings out a gun and shoots the bird. <laughs> and uh, and and uh, she she asks him, you know, well, why do you uh, why do you hate beautiful days and whatever? And he's like, rah, 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 rah. And it's like, yeah, but you're really good at this. You know, you I mean. You, 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 you're uh, committed to this, uh, being negative and it's amazing and you do such a great job. Yeah, you're kind of perfect at it. You do such a great job. And he starts shrinking and then like a littler version of him shows up and, uh, and finally gets a little littler. And then, uh, and then she turns to him and takes out a fly swatter and kills him. And just goes, sometimes you got to talk your problems down to size. And then walks off and he's been the beautiful day monster ever since. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Hmm. Very straight good. out, straight out killing like uh, they usually would do on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, a, he okay. uh, he appeared regularly on um, on Sesame Street. I think he appeared on the Muppet Show as well. But he was, you know, not like a top tier. Sure, sure. He's just uh, one of the background monsters. Yeah, and he appeared for the first time in the Wheels, Shoots, and Trumpets uh, ad. An ad that never aired, but is famous for being the first appearance of Cookie Monster. I see. And there was like the wheel stealer and the trumpet napper. And, <laughs> you know, I don't know what Beautiful Day Monster was, but he was like, he stole whatever the other thing was. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was back when Cookie Monster had uh, sharp teeth mm. and looked just like the abominable snow beast. <laughs> cool. Well, there you go. Muppet the, history. There you go. Yeah. A little Muppet history. Anyway, long story short, watch uh, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. You'll be, uh, All right. you'll be gadgeted. I'll, I'll I will try, I will report back yeah. with my findings, perhaps for the next episode. And for those of you out there who have seen that already and are going, oh, I'd like to watch something Muppety, one, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, enjoyable, uh, or two, uh, Muppets, uh, like, Sex and Violence. It's kind of a uh, pre-prelude to The Muppet Show. Are those also on, on Disney? News? Sex and Violence is not, but you can mm. see it on YouTube. Ah, I see. Yeah. Good old YouTube. Yeah. I would like to give Emmett Otter a watch. I mean, I blew your mind a while ago by mentioning that I haven't watched it since it originally aired mm-hmm. many moons ago. But it was such a, it's so great that it just sticks in your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the first time that you see like a Muppet Ain't riding no a bike. Hole in they have a Muppet riding a bike in that one, right? I believe they do, yeah. It's like the first time you saw it in your life and you're like, what the, Yeah. <laughs> what magic is this? Yeah. How are they doing? I do this? I do very clearly remember seeing the Muppet movie and seeing Kermit on the bike and mm. the audience gasping. Mm. I'm like, hey, good on you guys. Yeah. You know? Wow, th- this is a uh, hmm, good. And then the next movie they had like a dozen Muppets riding bikes simultaneously and doing, <laughs> you know, amazing loop de loops and stuff and it was like, eh. <laughs> it's still pretty amazing. You can't go back to the you can't go back to the magic. No, no, no. But it's it's so big that it is, and it's sort of its own amazing. Because, yeah, at first you're kind of like, ah, we've seen this before. And then you're kind of like, whoa. And you're kind of like, holy cow. <laughs> what kind of gantry do they have to do this? It's mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, yeah, I was too adult to see the Muppet movie as well. Oh, really? Yeah. You were too adult. I was too much of an adult, yeah. How, okay, I'm thinking, okay, how old were you? 
I think I was in grade 10. <laughs> so okay. I took my brother with me, my youngest brother with me. He was my cover. Uh, all right. So that I could see it and not feel like a real... it came out in 79. Oh, really? So yeah, so, would... so I would have been grade 8, I guess. Wow, I was in grade 8, and I thought I was too too old to go see the Muppet movie. Yeah, I've been 12, <laughs> so you probably would have been 13. <laughs> yeah. I just thought I was too too adult to see. I was like, I just felt embarrassed. Like I was just like, oh, people are gonna see me going to see the Muppet movie. They're gonna think, what a loser. I'll bring my brother. He's my cover. Right. And we're seeing it. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm bringing my brother to this movie. You know, really, I wanted to see it. my brother. Is probably totally indifferent right. to it. It's all the characters that uh, all the people that you know, uh, kids love like Orson Welles, <laughs> James Coco. Yeah, and... yeah. You know, all their favorites <laughs> were were in there. Yeah. Actually, I I was. I was sort of disappointed by all the all the uh, cameos in that film. I didn't really like that very much when I saw it. Okay. I just wanted strict Muppets. I didn't want like a bunch strict of humans Muppets? getting in the way of, of, of my Muppet enjoyment. You didn't want to see Bob Hope. You didn't want to see Steve Martin. Nope. Carol Kane. Nope. Cloris Leachman. Elliot Gould. Nope. James Coburn. Nope. Milton Berle. Nope. Edgar Bergen. Nope. Okay. You were fine with Charles Durning because he was a main character. I guess he had like a role in it as a, as a villain. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, Madeline Kahn was in it as well. Yeah, there's some good people there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't seen once again. I have not seen that movie since I saw it in the theater. But um, I could maybe watch it again. And, and what I are might we doing? Why mind. are we not doing a Muppets podcast? <laughs> it's, this is this is really like just pushing pushing our way into that. And I'm is like, that right? oh, I don't have the time. I've never seen Muppets on Treasure Island. Oh I've never my seen... god, it's not bad. <laughs> it's really not bad. And like, then do you leak into the other Jim Henson stuff? Do you, uh, do you get the room? Do you do, <laughs> oh man, all of the experimental films? I don't know. I don't know if you do, but I do love the Muppets very, very much. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I mean, as a, as a kid, I particularly like, I love them, um, you know, jumping from Sesame Street to then to the specials, like the Princess and the Pea. And I think that's what they did with Sweet Pea. I thought it was Sweetums. Mm-hmm. Whatever that one was, the Musicians of, ha- Musicians of Hamlin. Bremen, 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 sorry, the Bremen Bremen Town musicians, I should say, yeah, yeah. And then, um. Sweetums was a good character. He was a great character. Yeah. And then, (laughs) uh, yeah, and then, of course, Sex and Violence and. and Yeah, the idea that. The idea that you'd have a character who was on Sesame Street then doing a show called Sex and Violence. (laughs) It's pretty good. (laughs) Well, I mean, Jim Henson obviously regarded those characters as actors that could be in anything. Mm hmm. That they weren't limited to just being Sesame Street characters. That that was one of their jobs. But, and I was super excited when the Muppet Show came on. You know, I I don't I don't think you we've talked about it before, and I don't think you remember it. But in my memory, I would sit through like a half an hour show of magicians performing in some sort of European casino. It felt like, and then and then they would have then the Muppet Show would come on after that. What channel was this? Because I'm I'm imagining it being on CBC. Uh, I don't remember. It was. It didn't. It was syndicated when it came out. It wasn't on a particular channel. It okay. was. It was came from England, right? Yeah, ITV. Yeah, so it was syndicated here. So it depended who was showing it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And in my memory, I watched it in the afternoon on a Sunday or a Saturday, and it was always preceded. In my memory, it was preceded by a, a magic show. It was like a half an hour magic show that was mostly like sleight of hand magic. Okay. Or sleight of hand magic of people with bird cages that magically have birds in them and, and those sort of things, you know. I know a lot of people in tuxedos and whatnot. It seemed very, very straight. Yeah, the uh, CBC was the first network to air Emma Daughter's Jug Band Christmas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, yeah. Uh, first run broadcaster of Fraggle Rock. 
Yes. Yeah. But not the Muppet Show, I don't think. Oh, no, it was. It was also a first-run broadcaster of Fraggle Rock, Muppet Show, and Muppets Tonight. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Because I don't remember watching it on CBC. Or maybe I did. And that, but it seems to me that it was on in the afternoon on like ABC or some channel like that uh, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, the, and Sesame Street in French, French Canada, yes. is apparently called Bonjour Sesame. Bonjour Sesame? Yep. Hmm. There we are. Indeed. Ugh. Oh, okay. No, all right. What's I was going to go, why is Gian Gameshi involved in this? Oh, because uh, the Muppets appeared on Q once. Ah. Okay, that's fine. But they're also on As It Happens. Yeah, all right. <laughs> that's fine. That's not a big deal. They, they go on talk shows. They used to be on yeah. uh, Tonight Show quite a bit. They're actors. Yeah, they, they really seem like actors when they were like on The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Like They really kind of didn't break character, but they were way loose. <laughs> which was nice. Yeah. You could tell they had fun because like... Um, you know, on the Ed Sullivan show, for some reason, they would uh, they would run the skit, mm-hmm. you know, that they would do, and something would blow up and everything. And then uh, Jim Henson would, would come out and just shake Ed's hand and then walk away, and they wouldn't really talk or anything, but it would just be, see, it was a person. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, we know. I guess, I guess it's good to show his face. But it'd be nice to have a little conversation or something. Or well, ah, No, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Moving on. We've got 65 other acts. <laughs> Wayne and Schuster in the, in the wings, and they got to go. Got to go. Yeah. Got some plates spinning. Julie, today. don't go. <laughs> only, only sketch line I can remember of theirs. Yeah, I can remember they did a sketch uh, about a hockey player who sold his soul called the Unholy Goalie, but that's about it. Nothing else. I don't remember that. Watched, watched dozens of hours. Of I did. I don't know if it was dozens of hours, but I dozens of hours. I definitely watched because they came on after the hockey games. Yeah. So your parents just didn't bother turning the channel. And then that came on, like, Wayne and Schuster came on. You're like, I guess that's what it we're watching. It felt like with Wayne and Schuster, and like, listen, they they did a lot of stuff. They, they, they're to be admired, and I'm not going to get on my, you know, ooh. Your high horse? Not even a high horse. It was very low horse <laughs> to be mocking Wayne and Schuster. It, you yeah. know, you, you, it, it was the corny comedy that you grew up with and the corny comedy you yeah. grew up with. Kinda you like, go like, meh. Yeah, you got to like, like you got to yeah. reject something. Exactly. It was very Bob yeah. Hope, and I think in the same way, because I never watched the Bob Hope movies. I watched his specials. Mm-hmm. And I think when I watched the Wayne and Schuster specials, they never seemed to really give a damn. Like, it just seemed like they came out and they just did their presentational stuff. And here's a little joke. And here's a little joke. Hey, you know what? We're going to go to the store today. Well, I went to the store and I got this. Oh, did you? What about Yeah, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's a bullshit story and it's a mild joke. And then they go into a sketch. And it just feels like they're not committing to the sketch at all. They're just kind of like walking through the sketch and they're still themselves yeah. and it's just like yeah they're just doing a thing and they're looking at the camera and it's just no full commitment to nothing whereas i could watch a carol burnett sketch and every carol burnett sketch unless of course they broke up which you know you kind of how are you not going to yeah they were into it they were like fully boom you know harvey corman was going for it carol was going for it <laughs> yeah you know, tim yeah. conway was going for it but they never really seemed to go for it with uh, wayne schuster and bob hope never seemed to go for it in his specials he was always yeah. bob hope as superman yeah He'd just come out and just be himself and be like eh. <laughs> if you don't care why do i care yeah. i think this was yeah. the vibe i got as a kid mm-hmm. yes to be fair to particularly harvey corman who was the most apt to corpse during uh, a Carol Burnett show. Those were they performed twice. They did a dress and they did a full. Uh, they did a full show. Both were filmed and both both were filmed and both were filmed in front of an audience. Right. Saturday Night Live does that to this day. But with Carol Burnett show, they tended to prefer the sketches 
as performed during the dress because they were a little they were a little looser. Looser, yeah, yeah. And so they generally ended replacing the 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 full show. So the entertainers and stuff would get all it would be the they would use the full show, like a full on show yeah. for their performances. But for the but that's the part we don't because we mostly see like um, in the syndicated ones they cut out a lot of the 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 acts that are yeah. also on the show. So it's kind of fun to watch. I can't remember where I was watching Carol Burnett. I think it was on Amazon. I, they had like the first yeah, yeah. seasons. And I was the watching it on season. there. Yeah. And so it was sort of interesting to watch like the whole show yeah, with like the sort of vibe. awkward interview with the get, with the guest and, and, and the sketches and then also the guest performances and things. That was sort of interesting. And what's also interesting, of course, is I guess at this point, they weren't really getting like the cream of the crop. So there's kind of like people you, I don't know if you've ever heard of this person. There'd be like a dancer or someone, you know, maybe someone you kind of vaguely know, you know, it's Juliet Prowse. And you're like, okay, I know her from like bra commercials, but I don't, I don't know what she yeah. did. <laughs> well, I mean, at the time, who was doing ver- variety shows, right? Like, yeah. So it's like you got to have someone who can do comedy, can sing, can mm-hmm. dance, can be, you know, in this number and that number and all that. I was like, oh, that limits it. Mm. You know, uh, I don't know where they shot it. I think they shot it in California, right? Yes. yes. So you're not even getting the New York Broadway no, yeah, yeah, crowd. Yeah. So it's like, oof, where are you finding <laughs> these people? And it's usually from the past. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, you know, you go like, uh, what's, her, what's her name? Julie Andrews is free this week. Thank Christ. Okay, <laughs> great. Put her in everything. Absolutely everything. And they made this, the very weird choice uh, with Vicki Lawrence, though I like Vicki Lawrence a lot, of, you know, picking someone who looked like Carol Burnett. So like the two women in the cast look alike. That's weird. It is sort of odd, but they're they're different types though. Like Vicky Lawrence is a little shorter and a little was a little rounder than, than right. Carol Burnett. She won so. a Carol Burnett lookalike contest. Yeah, it's weird that yeah. yeah, and so she plays her sister in so many things, younger sister. Yeah. Yeah. Except where she clearly plays, you know, older in Mama's family. <laughs> She's a good performer though. It's interesting. Yeah. Like someone like Lyle Wagner, it feels does feel like a real piece of wood through most of his most of the time on the show. Mm-hmm. Like he's not really bringing much. No, he's the handsome guy who can bounce stuff. But off. sometimes I don't, I, I don't know if he can sing or not. Yeah, nothing. Uh, yeah, I think his brother Porter got all the uh, the singing skills. I don't know who that is. What Port- are you doing? Porter Wagner. I don't know what that joke oh, okay. is. Okay, sorry. He's a country singer who. Oh, very good. Uh, he was partnered with um, uh, Dolly Parton for a long time. Oh, I was thinking of the other country singer uh, from the old westerns, Peyton Your Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> the third, yeah. the third Wagoner, yeah, yeah. Peter Wagner, Peter Wagner, um, and then the other interesting thing about those really, I shows, like to think that Nina's laughing at that joke. <laughs> good, I'm glad. Someone, I think she's probably the only one. Is. Yeah, from, I think she likes a good paint your wagon joke. Yeah, yeah, she's so, that's what okay. She that's so all anyway, she for uh, Nina, that's for you. Merry Christmas. That's she, our gift. She is so jaded that she only can enjoy. That's those the only thing she can yeah. feel. Nothing else can get through. Paint, paint your wagon. Yeah, jokes. that uh, she's seen so much comedy. <laughs> she's developed such a thick skin. <laughs> Very few jokes can make it through. <laughs> um, I was going to say, uh, the other interesting thing about those shows is there's no uh, Tim Conway. Yeah. So you don't get his super, superb comedy. And then he becomes the, a very regular guest on the show. Then he became a guest, and then he just sort of became a, the guest who never left. Who yeah. was the next guest who never left? This is probably after my time. So I don't remember anyone after. So Harvey Corman left, right? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Was he the replacement of Harvey Corman, basically? Uh, the could be, yeah. Was it Dom DeLuise? No, it was a very famous uh, uh, performer who had uh, their own sitcom that was a very successful sitcom. Uh, then had a failed sitcom, which is why they were free to do those. <laughs> uh, and, uh, oh, yeah. Dick Van Dyke. Yes. Dick Van Dyke was a regular performer on the show near oh, okay. the end. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, once again, like a kind of a multi-talent, multi-level talented guy who could dance and do comedy and do all the rest of it. So mm-hmm. and was very charming. Yeah, it's weird the uh, the Mama's Family sketches. Oh boy, there's so many things about Mama's Family. <laughs> uh, two 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 things. One one is that it's a uh, kind of a drama. A lot How of grim the they are. Yeah, and will and will like yeah end in like not the happy ending, but definitely in the. Oh, Ooh, it's sad. Yeah. Like the, the Gong Show episode. Holy shit. I don't remember the Gong Show episode. There's the school interview oh. where they go in about, with their, about their son. And that's yeah. a, it's like so revealing in so many ways. Like yeah. it is really, it's not like comedy. It's more like. It's a play. It's a play, a little playlet. And then there's the uh, Game of Sorry. Beautiful. Where, which everything. Every, every, Build so beautifully. <laughs> yeah, yes. uh, yeah, when we were playing Sorry, uh, you know, at our house. As when I was young, uh, I was just upset we didn't have the bell, mm. so I couldn't recreate that uh, wonderful <laughs> scene. But the Gong Show one basically is she goes on the Gong Show, yeah, and it's a whole big setup of just like uh, I made it on the Gong Show, and uh, they're all but you're singing terrible. It's like I'll show you, and then I'll leave you, and then I'm gonna go make it. But and so she sings and she gets gonged, and then it's you just they just like pull in. The, it's almost, you know, like at the end of Warner Brothers where yeah, you know, yeah, it goes, yeah. boom. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But it goes like slow yeah. and then she gets real small. And it's just that feeling of just like she's just lost everything. <laughs> and that's the end. And they end it there. And it's like, mother fucker. That's, that's the end of your sketch. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was interesting because they actually used the real gong show set mm. and, uh, and gong show judges and the host, mm-hmm. Chuck Bear, Bears. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it showed like, you know, a lot of people get hurt when they're on this show. Yeah. And they're like, what a weird thing for the show to have been okay with. I guess a lot of people can get hurt. I mean, if that's your attitude to it is that, you know, I'm going to get away. Humiliation. It showed what the, what, what the, the, the gong show could be a humiliating Mm. experience for someone who wasn't in on the joke. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, huh, that's Uh. something for a show to... (laughs) To let itself be shown to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I remember uh, there's again there's two there's two things about this. One was that it became a sitcom, which was very much like how you got sitcoms in the past. Like the Honeymooners was yeah. uh, a spinoff of the Jackie Gleason show uh, sketch, the Honeymooners. Yeah. Uh, and but before they did that, they did this special. That was like a multi generational uh, special about Mama's family, and Mama dies in it. Mm. And mm. you know, Eunice, uh, you know, is uh, going through different times in her life and visits Mama's grave and all all this other stuff. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> it does get really fucking dark. Huh. Yeah, and they they have some of the actors from the uh, the the Carabinet show, and some are recast. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's wow. it's something. I've never seen that. Yeah. Really dark. I and really it's weird, that, place, weird to have like a sketch comedy show spin off basically a, 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 a very strong dramedy. And then, uh, and then they go now full on comedy, mama's family. Yeah. And she's just a likable, crazy lady. And yeah, here yeah. we go. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good character. Yep. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, and sometimes some of the performers in the show just felt, did feel like Dick Van Dyke would be an example, but someone I always thought was good on it was that Steve Lawrence. Mm-hmm. We didn't really know who he was, like Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet, like, uh, what? Like, because we're too, we're too cool. We don't to, go to Vegas. We're too cool to know who the couple club singers are, but, but, uh, he was really good. Like, he really committed to, like, oh, sure, stuff sure. that he did in that show, and that was always good, you know, like. He if, was one of those guys that was, like, an old timey performer, so mm. you sing, you dance, you do impressions. Yeah, yeah. 
You got you got to, you know, and they all do. Yeah. That's always the weirdest thing when you have like old timey performer and just like, take it. And all of a sudden <laughs> they're doing a big tap number. Like, how did you? I, I think of you as one thing. Yeah. Like, no, no, yeah. no one can specialize in the oldie days. You yeah. learned everything. Yeah. You throw three balls, they're juggling immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And, but also the, the uh, standards are so high that you had to really, really compete against a lot of people who are really, really good to get where you were in those days. So, I mean, it's not no yeah. different now, but in terms of like so many different specialties, you know, like. Yeah. You don't get that a lot now. You get it like it's to the point where it's, it's so odd sometimes when you get someone like a Steve Martin and a Martin Short working together and go like, oh, they both can do everything. <laughs> like again, these guys are both jugglers. Yeah. Both of them can sing. Both yeah. of them can dance. Hmm. Both of them could probably do impressions, but they don't because there's someone you, well, no, Martin Short obviously do does a, yeah. a load yeah. of impressions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're both just amazing. <laughs> Multi-talented performers. Yeah. Yeah. Come from that background. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, cough it out. I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I was reading a book about Buster Keaton, and they're talking about Roscoe Arbuckle as well in that. And just talking about how they're both such natural athletes, you know? And so they weren't, they never trained to be athletes, but their their athleticism was given full reign in their in their artists, slapstick artists, you know? And, and just talking about how uh, Roscoe Arbuckle, or Fatty Arbuckle, his stage name, would walk into a room and he would just casually throw his hat over his shoulder and land it on the, the, the hat hook every time, mm-hmm. like just effortlessly. And talking about Buster Keaton, like in his late 50s, he, got a, he did a, like a TV show in L.A. for an L.A. TV station. And this is in the days, just at the birth of television, when uh, there wasn't like national broadcasters yet. Mm-hmm. Because TV signals couldn't travel that far. So it was lots of local stations around, around, North, around America, around North America. And so he was doing this, like the Buster Keaton show in, in LA for this station. I was talking like how he just, uh, is, there's a scene where he's like a janitor or something in a school gymnasium and he's just casually doing all the things that are in the gymnasium and how he just did this thing where he just casually from various parts of this gym lands all these, you know, lands all these baskets, like playing basketball and just keeps landing hoop, hoop, hoop. <laughs> and he's laying on his back on the floor and just throws him over his head into the hoop. Yeah. And it's all on live television. So he, they, either he does it or he doesn't, you know, but there's nothing to him. Just, just that kind of, and even, you know, like that late in life, after obviously his, oh, you know, after having drinking problems and stuff like that, he still has this skill to just this natural ability to, you know, and it's, it's interesting, you know, like both his brother and sisters or sister were attempted to be brought into the act, into the Keaton family act, but n- neither of them could cut it. And both of them just ended up going to, School while the rest of the family toured the continent, you know, performing. They and both got flattened by houses that fell on them. <laughs> so you didn't right. quite they get that couldn't, window. Couldn't quite uh, stand thing. on the mark. And um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's fascinating that sort of skill, which I, I I don't have. That it's just amazing to me that that ability. You know, like I am there. I'm not. I admire it tremendously, but I don't have that athleticism. I used to know. think that whenever I saw. The Harlem Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. And you just see them do these amazing things. And yeah. I was sinking every basket and just like, mm. well, why aren't you playing professional basketball? <laughs> like, how is this paying more? Like, I could see if you're the old, like the original group or whatever. And yeah. you've got a cartoon show on Saturday morning. And you got a TV show and you're appearing and you're going on Gilligan's Island. Yeah. But otherwise, be a freaking basketball player. Why aren't you that? Mm. 
you know, or not quite good, not quite good enough to play basketball, though. Yeah, that's the thing. They have the specific skills for certain things. Yeah. And they have, but they also have a personality that maybe they don't want to play basketball professionally. They want to be performers. And this gives them an opportunity to be a comedy performer. And, you know, and they have the skills to to do that, you know. I was trying trying to think of someone, you know, who's like, uh, uh, like that today, but it's not even like today. But uh, someone like a Jackie Chan. And, you know, who's, yeah. who's doing the, the Buster Keaton style stunts. Mm-hmm. And he did one movie here called Rumble in the Bronx, which is the, uh, the first time you'll ever see, uh, mountains in the Bronx. <laughs> Watch that movie. But it's still, listen, am I going to say it's a good movie? Of course it's dumb. It's dumb. <laughs> it's dumb. There's so many dumb bits. Yeah. But there's so many good stunts. Yeah. And so many good fights. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, because we live in Vancouver, it was a, it was a very exciting show to, uh, movie to see. Because we saw like the jumps he was doing across like mm-hmm. to fire escapes and whatever, and you can still see those fire escapes. And just like, yeah, he did this by doing it. Yeah, and it's like, oh my god, it's just amazing. Or like climbing up the side of a building or a parking mm. structure, and uh, yeah, he just had this ability, just incredibly athletic, and that's how you do it. That and having the for- the fortune to be working at a time in. Hong Kong movies when you had the freedom to do that there wasn't all this the restrictions on you know and, and all the insurance worries and stuff like that of an actor hurting himself or you know putting yeah. himself in danger and you know and also apparently all those people who performed in those movies could be revived by just someone rubbing them really quickly oh my god it was like just yeah it was apparently <laughs> like you break your leg and you just rub it a couple yeah, just of rub times. it a few times and it's okay like, it's all right what you can, you can walk you're all right yeah, I don't know. Maybe there was like a bit of a wire or something. I mm-hmm. don't know. Like we, we had the technology to remove wires digitally or like sort of make them kind of go away, you know, later. Yeah. But I don't think he did. I think it was just jumping. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And then, and then like the silent films, most of the stunts were created on, on site using what was at hand. You know, there were some that were planned, obviously, yeah. if you see like a uh, police story. You know, there's that beginning of it where they're driving all the cars through the through the shanty town down the hill. Like all that was somewhat planned, you know, but only so, somewhat planned because there's so many variables to what's happening that you can't you can't predict like how the cars are going to arrive oh at the bottom gosh. of the hill and stuff like that. You know, but it's pretty amazing, you know. Uh, and there's that scene. I think it's also in. I think it's also in Police Story. I think it's maybe Police Story Two. One of those movies. Anyway, he jumps through a sign, jumps mm-hmm. through a, but he jumped through the wrong sign. Oh. So there was a breakaway sign and then, oh. but he, he didn't know, he missed it oh. and jumped through the wrong one. <laughs> oh, how's that go? <laughs> well, I think it hurt, he hurt himself a bit. Okay, they just rubbed it. They just rubbed it, yeah. A couple of people with a JC, oh man, I would kill for one of those JC shirts. You know, everyone watch the movies and all the guys in the back, like those, like if you watch the blooper yeah. parts at the end of the movie, yeah. all, all the, stu- all the crew people, all wearing these uh, JC stunt crew shirts. Oh, that'd be that'd be so great to have. I've looked online to see if they were ever on sale, but I've never never I never found one. Wow. They should sell them. They should. Jackie Chan, get on it. I know you listen to the show. <laughs> he does. He doesn't approve of it. He writes us an angry letter every week. And it is so hostile that we cannot Can, yeah, cannot. you know thing. Sometimes he's so mad uh, writing it he hurts himself with his pen <laughs> and then he like uh, puts the blooper reel up. It's sad that he's now like a mouthpiece of the Communist Party, but... Oh, is he? Yes, yes, he's become a... Well, I mean, the pro- thing is, if you want to work in China, you have to spout the party line. If you don't, you disappear. You become a 
become a Chinese tennis player. Where is she? Where are you? Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. Boo. Boo to, boo to that. Anyway, back to the Muppets. <laughs> no, that's fine. You don't have to go back to the Muppets, do you? No, we can go back. Uh, so many. Uh, listen. Forward. So, for, forward, onward, upward. Have you, when you, uh, you know, in your dad duties, uh, did you ever on Christmas Eve have to build something? Like assemble something underneath the tree? Um, like I, a dollhouse or a bike or something? Not, no, no. I don't, okay. I don't think so. I don't remember having to do that. I think those were done like afterwards. I don't think we ever gave a bike for a Christmas present. I think that was a birthday thing. Okay. Bikes are better for birthdays, I think. Is it because it's um, in a different weather that you can actually ride a bike? And if that's, you, that's if you took your bike it. outside today, you would fall and die immediately. <laughs> it would be much fun. It's very snowy when we're recording. Yes, this. and very cold as well. It's unseasonably cold here in uh, in Vancouver. Well, I should the weather's say, on random as it will be for the rest of time. It's not that. Oh, it's I mean, it's kind of cyclical because this reminds me of when I was a kid. This weather. This is like weather when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember like. Really deep snow. I remember one time, I must have been four, somewhere around there. I wasn't going to school yet. And I was walking through our front yard through the snow, and I couldn't see over the snow. And I walked sure. I walked off of the ledge and, on, and fell onto the driveway because there was like a retaining wall, but a two-foot retaining wall. And I just wa- walked off of it and fell onto the, the driveway. I didn't hurt myself. Just surprised myself. But because uh, I was a kid. So I just yeah, bounced. you just I got just up bounced. and you rubbed it. And, and there's uh, a bumble. They, yeah. Bumbles, bum- bounces. Bumbles bounce. We know, we know that. And the crew uh, just swarms you. And, uh, <laughs> and they all started rubbing me. Yeah. Um, and just went, hey, who are you guys? Yeah, right. so it was like, and they Jackie went, Chan, it's a different crew. time. It's a different time. <laughs> it's, okay. it's a different time. It's okay. It's all right. Don't tell no one. <laughs> but, but we used to go ice skating at the local lakes, right? Sure, sure. Like yeah, yeah. Coma Lake in, in Coquitlam and Deer Lake Park. At Deer Lake and uh, Deer Lake Park, we would go uh, ice skating there all the time. And, and you know, like, so it, I remember people... Ice skating at Lost Lagoon in uh, in Sunday Park. Huh. So it's not. This isn't crazy. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. it's just kind of come back around again, you know. Like because weather does go through cycles. I know that I'm not denying climate change, but I, there's also a cyclical element to to weather as well. So who knows? We may be heading back into a, a colder time, like when when we were kids. So there'll be more snow because it is interesting driving. So on, um, we had the big weather. Oh, sorry. Before I go into that, was there a reason you were asking about building something under for, to put under no, a tree? No. Were you are you having to do that this year? No. Having to construct something? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I was just thinking. Uh, here's where my 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 thinking was. Yeah. I was going to ask you something about uh, just about Christmas. Okay. And just like you know a nice uh, like a Christmas memory you had, and then I went like get more specific. And I was like, uh, I wonder if as a dad, because my uh, my thoughts of my dad on Christmas were mm. he would have to build something usually underneath yeah. the ta- the tree. Yeah. And there'd be a rah, 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 for <laughs> uh, And so I wondered if you ever had to do that, and that was yeah. what that was about. No, no. And the only thing I think of that you need to do that with is like a bike, and even the what. Nowadays, not that much comes like in a box like that to me that might like that I can think of. Like, I'm that was part of the dad duty was, uh, yeah, you know, building something like, uh, yeah, some kind of kit that would sure. you'd have to look at. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, just put off what I was talking about the weather, but, um, I may have mentioned this before, but this is a very strong Christmas memory, not a great Christmas memory, but a very strong one for me, which is because one thing my parents did when we were younger, which I think is kind of weird, but what they did was they, on Christmas Eve night, when we went to bed, there was no Christmas tree. Santa brought the Christmas tree. Oh. So when we got up in the morning, different. when we got up in the morning, the Christmas tree was up. There's presents underneath it. And then one year, my dad, 
like without us even knowing it, he built a table. He built a big plywood table. So he just, it wasn't really like a complicated table. He just took a piece of plywood. Okay. Like a four by eight piece of plywood, sheet of plywood, and attached metal legs to it. They were kind of folding metal legs. Right. So he set that up, up downstairs and he put a racetrack on it. So it had this big racetrack oh. set up on this table. And then this, here's the unfortunate part. He pushed it right against the wall, right into the corner of the room, bang against the wall. So my brothers and I were obviously playing it because it was set up on Christmas morning and we were like, and this is before my parents got up. Okay. But it was set up, so obviously we could play it because it was there. So yeah. we just started playing it. And Santa brought it. We were so excited. We were playing yeah. this race game, and the cars were going around the track. And then one of the cars came off the track in the back of the, the racetrack. Okay. Now, it didn't occur to my brothers and I that we should pull the table away from the wall and crawl underneath it and pop up. And my brother just thought, oh, I'll just crawl up on the table. And I'll get the car. And so he crawled up on the table to get the car. And the whole table tipped over. Oh. <laughs> and it broke the racetrack. Oh. And so then my dad got up and he discovered this. He just packed away the racetrack and we never saw it again. That was the end of the racetrack. We had like a half an hour of fun. Oh, well, what, uh, <laughs> what business was it of his? It was Santa brought it. It's not, uh... Well, it was broken anyway, so it wasn't, it wasn't going to work. But uh, yeah, it just got put away. <laughs> that was it. He didn't go, oh, I'll go buy another one and replace it. Don't worry, guys. Well, or, how would he? It was Santa. Well, I mean, you know what I mean. You have no ability to uh, recreate the race <laughs> yeah. uh, So, yeah, it was too bad. That sucks. Yeah, it does suck. Like, I mean, I'm sure if my dad would could do it over again, he would have it would have occurred to him to like pull it back a foot away from the wall so that if yeah. a car came off, it would fall on the floor and we could just crawl underneath or, and get or it. Or get get another racetrack. Or get another racetrack, which he didn't do either. He just yeah, I would say get another racetrack. Obviously, so so mad, he just <laughs> packed it all up, and that was the end of it. Never, never to be seen again. <sighs> Silly, mad Christmas. <laughs> it is sad. One Christmas, I was um, I was caught. Uh, this was uh, just before the beachcombers started. It was Sunday night. It was a Sunday night Christmas, and we had a fire burning in the fireplace. But the fire had kind of burned down. It was just the embers were in the fireplace, and I decided it would be really cool to put my plastic fireman in the fireplace. Sounds pretty cool. It was, until they melted. But when my mom found this out, I got sent to bed. Yeah. Christmas was canceled. <laughs> like, literally, I was told Santa Claus wasn't coming. And so I just went to bed in tears, of course. Just absolutely gutted, because this is the most terrible thing I'd ever heard in my life. No Christmas. On the, on the bright side, you didn't have to watch Beachcombers. <laughs> I liked Beachcombers as a kid. I had no judgment. Um, I could tell you were burning your fire. <laughs> and so um, uh, my mom did relent, which is... Also bad. Like, why, you know, set off an atomic bomb and then go, take backs. No atomic bomb has been detonated. I take it all back. Well, it's better than letting the atomic bomb get detonated. <laughs> but okay, go ahead. Well, she did already. She told us Christmas is canceled. Yeah, yeah. The Santa wasn't coming. And we were just, like, so crying and bad, sad and everything. And uh, Wait, was Santa not coming for any of you because you... Yeah. Because of you. Because yeah. one kid yes. does the thing. So it's, it's canceled <laughs> for the other two kids? Yes. All yeah, right. Yeah. So that's how Santa works. Huh? Yeah, he does. He's you just you can't merciless. hang around with the wrong crowd. A merciless Santa. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. I got sent to bed and uh, bawling my eyes out. And oh, that time I, I shared a bunk bed with my younger brother. For whatever reason, my middle brother had his own room. <laughs> I had to share a room with my, my younger brother. That's strange as it is, well. It is odd, isn't it? I was not the favorite child. Let's put it that way. You should list like the top 10 <laughs> strange things from when you were a kid. Actually, you know what? I want to make that one of the questions this week. Hold it. Okay. Okay. It's not necessarily like, you know, bad, like bad, tragic memories mm. over there. But what was a strange thing that you remember your family did that other <laughs> families didn't do? Like uh, putting up the Christmas tree 
on on Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a strange thing. Yeah, yeah, like so after the kids are in bed. Yeah, that's a strange uh, thing. Uh, Santa like a, brings the tree. It seems like a lot of work. That's a strange thing for your parents. So okay. yeah, just yeah. like uh, that would be okay. Well, we'll find. Let's remember that for the end of the show. Uh, what's a strange thing your family did? No wonder they were crabby in the morning. No wonder my dad was so mad. <laughs> he just put up a tree, built a racetrack, put a table together. Well, we didn't. Well, we were sleeping. Yeah. And then we got up in the morning and destroyed the racetrack, and then. Oh, yeah, because you're kids. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't blame us. Like the kid that uh, I don't blame my dad we, either. I mean, I we won't not say to how, we won't say the track, the name of of your brother that did it because you have multiple brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one that did at that time, how old were they? Oh man, well, this is before grade six, so we're somewhere. So for you, yeah. So you're eleven. No, no. I'm just saying this is we're probably younger than that. So we would have been around maybe grade four. I would have been grade maybe grade four, so grade four, three, and so nine and two, yeah, about nine, 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 ten, maybe. So okay, so how old was the brother then at the time that broke it? He would have been a year younger than me. So nine, nine or eight, eight? or nine, yeah, eight or maybe nine. eight, yeah. So eight, yeah, I know. I mean, look, <laughs> to me, crazy. and again, yeah. I haven't been a parent, but no. like to me, there's only a limited degree that you can get mad at an eight-year-old. Because they're eight. They got no ability to yeah. know. It's like, yeah. I mean, I, sorry to compare a, a human to an animal, but it's like getting mad at a dog. Mm. At a certain point, you just got to go, yeah, the dog ate the ham. You <laughs> stupid dog. It's like, okay, that's fine. You can be mad at the time. But like, if you're a week later going like, you son of a bitch, it's like, ease up. It's a fucking dog. Yeah. Like, it, 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 there's only certain things the dog will do, and the dog doesn't know. And so you got to, like, cut the dog some slack. And you got to cut the eight-year-old some slack. They yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, it's just, you know. No, no, I agree. Yeah. I don't think, like I, like I say, I don't blame my brother for crawling on the table. It, that of course not. Like, he's a kid. It seemed like the... the the thing to do. You're like, a little boy. It seemed like the it's thing nonsense. to do. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's a little boy to do. The car's over there. Just crawl on the table, get the car, and then crawl back again. What did the boy, what did he do? Committed genocide. Okay, get mad at him for that. <laughs> That's not something a boy should be doing. I understand. You're right. You're right. But what did he do? He climbed on a table and broke a racetrack. Well, that's a hundred percent little boy shit that you gotta like go look. I mean, there should be yeah. a thing where when your kid is born, and again, I'm not a parent, but I'm gonna judge from afar. Yeah. There should be a thing where like, you know, uh, the kid is born, and then the doctor takes you aside and just goes, okay, you like your stuff? Some of it's going to get broken. That's the thing. You got a kid. Some shit's going to get broken. You like that lamp? It's a nice lamp, huh? The lamp's going to get broken, probably. That's just the deal with having a kid. So when that happens, you can either go, I'm so fucking mad at you! Or you can go, you have a kid. Hmm. Some shit's going to get broken. Yeah. That's just the way it is. And, and deal with that. And I'll tell you what the better uh, way to go is, uh, that. And if you buy them a toy, they're going to break the toy because they're a boy. And a girl. A girl will also break a toy. But a bo- boy will definitely break a toy. The amount of toys I broke. Oy. <laughs> Let's see if the head comes off. I remember putting some water into a calculator. Like a, you know, just to see. like Because I knew there was like electricity in there. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder if it'll spark. And I broke the calculator. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. I didn't do that. I was a pretty careful. Yeah, I was a dumb kid. Careful kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to pretend I didn't do bad things, but uh, wait a second. Did you do bad things, or did you just do kid things? Yeah, just bad kid things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, kid things. Well, what you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Okay. 
I was disobedient. Okay. Or I did things that I I knew I shouldn't do. All right. Or I lied or whatever. Yeah, those are. Yeah, I'm I'm real common, on, common I'm child. Real things. on the fence about like calling them <laughs> bad things. You know. Yeah, being disobedient is a is a good way to go go about it. And sorry to once again get into dog territory, but it's like yeah, a dog can be disobedient. Is it bad? No, it's not bad. It's a bad dog. It absolutely is not, but it's a, it's a disobedient dog, <laughs> you know, because there's a certain point where you're all just instincts and emotions and mm. whatever. And you, yeah. I don't think that you have the judgment uh, to uh, mm. to make to be bad. Well, you, know? well yeah. you can have anger. You can act in you can act in anger. You can act in cruelty. Yep. You can do things like I think that. That's, bad. that's true. I think that's bad. Mm-hmm. Being cruel is bad. You know, lying, lying for your advantage or lying, lying because you. You want something. I mean, you're right. ma- being manipulative, I think that's bad. But okay. I think it's not a great personality. <laughs> something, to, something to correct yourself. Right. But if a six-year-old is doing that, that's a bit different. Well, I still think they're, they're teachable. They're trainable. They're, they're, they should know not to do that. You can, okay. But all right. So say, say a, a six-year-old. You don't want to encourage that kind of behavior. You, you bring a six-year-old into the room and just yeah. go like, hey, did you eat this uh, piece of cake? Yeah. And they go, no. Okay. <laughs> So they're lying to you. Yeah. And you can see the icing on their face. <laughs> yeah. They don't realize the gig is up. Yeah. <laughs> or jig is up. Or any of those both, things. Both of them are up, yeah. They don't know. Up. They don't know. Yeah. Here's what they do know. Yeah. Uh, actions and consequences. And and it's not, I will make the ethical choice here and I yeah. will confess to the crime. Yeah, yeah. And in that way... Uh, things will be better. No, all that they have seen in their life is if you do something that's wrong and yeah. your parent is talking to you in this voice, yeah. then there will be bad consequences for you. Mm-hmm. And so the smart thing to do and the survival thing to do to this kid is like, no, my best case scenario here. And they're actually being quite smart because they're pretending like they're acting. They're like, mm-hmm. they're pretending to <laughs> that they, they did not do that for their sure. own safety. And uh, and then you're like, well, you're bad. I'm like, okay, now you're not bad. You know, you just got to like use that as a learning uh, place to just go. You've got to tell me when you do something like this. Sure. Because you're not probably not going to get away with it. <laughs> and I and I don't want you to lie yeah. to me. And here's and then maybe maybe. And again, I'm not a parent. But to me, when I see that kind of scenario, I'm just like, here's why lying is dangerous, because I need to be able to believe you when you tell me something. I need to be able to that for your safety, for my safety, for everyone's safety. I need to know mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And I know sometimes you're like, I don't want to do this because I'm going to get in trouble. And that makes sense. But you've still got to. Even yeah. if you get in trouble, it's better to own up to what you do. Yeah. Because that will be less trouble than the trouble you'll get into <laughs> for lying about being doing the thing. Because sure. that's double trouble. Sure. I'm just trying to think of, uh, just trying to think of the girls... Uh did much of that. I mean, the girls were so good that it's hard to, it's hard to, all that stuff is like in the past. I don't remember it at all. So mm-hmm. hopefully it's in their past too. They're not still hanging on to the time dad got mad at them for eating a cookie. Can't believe dad got mad at me for eating a cookie. Do you think your dad is, uh, is currently like thinking on Christmas day of like a fucking racetrack? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he, re- re- not resent, maybe he regrets now that he overreacted to, I mean, in my opinion, overreacted. To it and maybe he feels like, oh, I wish I had have just, you know, fixed it or replaced whatever the part that was broken yeah. instead of just packing it all the way in in a white heat of anger. <laughs> and that's, that's Christmas. I mean, ideally, if this was a movie, you would be able to now uh, yeah. buy your dad a racetrack. 
and you would bring that, you would have the racetrack, and you would set that racetrack up at, at their place, yes. and then just wait until oh. he breaks it by mistake, and then just go, done, and then you just... Take it all, you put it in a box, you just go, well, I guess we can't have nice things. Yeah. And then you take it outside and you go like, and then you got closure. And then the audience goes, yay. Yeah. But you can't do that. It doesn't no, work. it doesn't work that way. And in fact, on that day, it was there was so much ruckus later on in the day when the neighbor's dogs came and ate the Christmas turkey and we went out for Chinese food that, or did that happen to me? <laughs> and then you shut your eye out. <laughs> I never got a BB gun as a gift. Did yeah. I? I think I wanted one. Did I? I've shot one. Mm-hmm. I know our neighbor did have one. Okay. Yeah. And it, I remember the thing about where you like have to really charge it up good. Just mm. click, 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 yeah, click, yeah. click, 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 click. <laughs> and then it was like, it can break the skin. No, it can't. Well, let's see. Because we're dumb kids. <laughs> yeah. Again, sorry. Here's, here's again my uh, childhood memory is, and I probably told this already, <laughs> was... We were at a birthday party, and uh, and uh, my friend had a dartboard. It was like, oh, dartboard, yeah, so cool. But the parents were like, you can't play with darts because yeah. you're kids. Yes. I'm like, all right, That's fine, good rule. So we went like, what's sharp enough to huck at the dartboard? So we went into the workshop, and there were screwdrivers. Okay, and so I got like a screwdriver, like a flat, a flathead screwdriver. Yeah, and I just threw like, and we were all throwing them at the dartboard, making yeah, yeah. big chunks out of the dartboard. <laughs> so I threw mine at the dartboard, bounced off the dartboard into my knee <laughs> right into my knee and it landed there and it like was poking out and like oh and, and and all the kids are just gathered around waiting for me to die yeah, yeah. and just like it's just amazed and then they had to call the mom and the mom's what and she came down she didn't want to come down yeah and like thump, 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 thump. and then she looked at my bleeding knee and like what <laughs> yeah oh dear were you welcome back again I don't remember anything okay. past that point. Yeah. I just remember like being there with, I was in shock. Yeah. I was there with like a screwdriver sticking out of my leg. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I was the center of attention. I was the bell of the ball. Well, maybe that's what you wanted. <laughs> maybe. I'm glad we weren't hucking hammers. <laughs> <laughs> I knocked all my teeth out and then, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Christmas. I, it's weird, like, I just said, like, some bad memories of Christmas, but I actually love, I loved Christmas as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I, my mom and dad, my, my mom loves Christmas, so it, it was, like, the, the best time of the year, because she'd always be in a good mood through, like, Christmas time. She'd be in a great mood the whole, through Christmas. How would she decorate the house? Well, she didn't overly decorate it. Most of the, the tree, like, later on when we were older, yeah. I loved to, like, decorate the tree. Okay, so at what point did the tree start coming in early? Like, when you were teenagers? I... Uh, I think when we moved to Delta, this tree stopped appearing magically. So okay. that would have been a great grade six for me. And would this be a live tree or a No, it was just tree? a it was just a setup tree, like okay. a from a tree from a box. Yep. Which I'm not opposed to. Nope. But I don't know, there's something nice about a tree in your living room. A dying tree in your living room. Uh that's it's kind of it's kinda of nice. You know. We got a this year we didn't get a very good tree, to be honest. Oh, I'm sorry. We got a very um awkward tree. It's very, it's kind of sparse on one side and it's got a big gap in it and it's not very symmetrical <laughs> it's a real mess but for whatever reason like we went to we used to we used to go to a place that offered it in the in a lot you could go in and they would have trees cut and sitting there and then you would just pick what looked nice and then take take them away but now you have to cut them and so you're walking around in in their 
field of trees and it, you're just kind of confused because you'll be like, oh, this tree looks nice. And you'll be like, well, we'll look a bit farther. And then you look a bit farther and then you go, oh, I like that other tree. Then you come back and you're like, what other tree? They all look the same now. Like, <laughs> and then you're, you're wandering around and then finally you settle on one and we just kind of settled on It's close to the truck, we thought. Well, yeah. so we just cut it down and we carried it over, got it home and then we set it up. And uh, then we got, you know, and then I said to Lisa, I said, oh, it's, this tree is not very good. And she's like, don't worry, once we put stuff on, it'll look fine. I'm like, so I put the lights on and, and the garland. And then, and then she started putting ornaments on it. And she went, I think you're right. This tree is not very good. <laughs> so, but oh, well, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. We saved it. It from just needs itself. a little love. Yeah, that's right. We wrapped a blanket around the base. And yeah. And then saying, good. Ooh. saying And then the two twin girls looked at each other and, and went, you know what's nice about this? That we're going to have a gig in every holiday special they do for the end till the end of time. Yep. Everyone will never forget our names. The two <laughs> twin girls. You know us. The two twin girls. Yeah. And that was uh, the last we ever saw of those last, girls. Yeah. Yes. There were a couple of numbers. I forget what their numbers were. Because <laughs> the gag in that was uh, that uh, their brother had a number and they both had a number and their parents just numbered them. Mm. And their names were numbers. It was a satire on something at the time. Okay. But I think that it, from what I've been told, yeah. um, Schultz didn't care for that. Like later, okay. it was just like, eh, it's not the funniest joke in the world. <laughs> uh, and so whenever they would do their collections, the strips with the girls and the and the boy who was numbered uh, just weren't in them. Because oh. they're like, yeah, let's just put the funny ones in there. <laughs> and so until like... Uh, the complete I think peanuts, I guess? Until, uh, until they did the complete peanuts. Yeah, yeah. You, you didn't see those characters. Huh. So there are some characters, yeah, that you'd never saw until complete peanuts came out. Wow. Huh. Interesting, yeah. Because, well, uh, as a kid, I had a... I still have quite an extensive collection of the... Was it Fawcett? I can't remember who put out the Peanuts paperback collections. I, I, yeah, I used to have quite a few of them, too. I, I remember that they would have the bigger collections. Yes. And then uh, and then they would uh, have the smaller ones as well. And, and they like, would always say, like, from Every Day is Sunday, Charlie Brown, yeah. part one or whatever, volume. From maybe. Mind Your Damn Business, Charlie Brown, yeah. volume one and two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be like, oh, where, where do you find those? That's yeah. weird. And you're just curious from as a kid. From Eat Your Vegetables, Snoopy, uh, volume one and two. Yeah. Yeah, I have quite a few. Some of them have my name in them from when I was a kid. So I wrote my name in. So just in case when stole it, I don't know why I wrote my name in mm-hmm. them. <laughs> One day I'll look back at this and I'll have my... Yeah, I remember they f- I found the uh, section of the library that had uh, the history of comic strips in it. And I was like, ooh, it was just this this, this just crazy world of like uh, all these old comic strips. Is that, that the I Smithsonian never... one? Uh, could have been okay. like I would get anything that was like a big be. one with the black cover on it. Probably like if it was there, I I took it out. Mm. Like I took everything out that was about comic strips. Yeah, and then of course Mort Walker's, Mort Walker's backstage at the strips, which mm. really humanized uh, cartoonists. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's neat. And it's like people really like uh, Miss Buxley's boobs, so <laughs> I like drawing naked Miss Buxley for people. Like what? You can't do that. I guess you can. Do you remember? Um, H.T. Webster. At the, there's like a collection of the library. And it seemed like weird. Tell I ha- more. I have a, the collection of home now because it was, for whatever reason, I don't know why. They must have put this out. Uh-huh. I don't know who he was, really. Like, I've never looked him up on Wikipedia or anything. But he was a cartoonist okay. working, I assume, in like the 10s and 20s, the teens and 10 teens and 20s right, or whatever. I'm looking him up right now. There's a lot of bridge humor in his comics, which went 
right over my head as a kid, okay, and over my head talking, as an adult. You're talking, of course, the card game. Yes, the card game, bridge. All right, very yes. good. And um, Trump, you motherfucker! What? And then there was sort of like uh, nostalgic, you know, when we were kids, we would do these things. Uh, and yeah, he did a comic called The Timid Soul. Yes, and there, there's that character as well, who appears in the Mr. Milk Toast is his name, and I think that's <laughs> the first ap- appearance of Milk Toast as a as a descript as a descriptor. Okay. He also had a stroke later in life and had to relearn to draw with his left hand. Oh, I'm sorry about that. What was oh. uh, what was uh, with the shaky hand for Schultz? What was he also that? suffered a stroke and had to one? relearn to draw. Yeah, okay. yeah. Later in life, what do you? I'm just like okay. It was like uh, he began drawing at age seven. Mm. When he was twelve, he switched from cigarettes to cigars. <laughs> and at the same uh, same year, he sold his first cartoon for five dollars. To the magazine Recreation. That's just a weird thing. Like, okay, he began drawing. Yeah. And then he uh, switched from, uh, you know, as, as yeah, yeah. cigarettes to cigars. When did he start th- smoking? Though? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's just like a weird thing, you know. Uh, yeah, he, 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 lear- he learned drawing uh, from yeah. his mother. Yeah. Uh, didn't care for beer, so started drinking scotch. <laughs> and then sold his first cartoon to the Saturday Evening Post. Wait. We're, Wait, let's we're go back. We're really mixing back information up. here. Let's back up this car for okay. a second here. Let's... But but he studied drawing from a correspondence school. Okay, kind of like Schultz. It was the draw the turtle or draw the the thing. Hmm. Famous artist. School. Famous artist. Yeah. Maybe. Kind of like Schultz because Schultz also took lessons in drawing and then later worked for the uh, for the actual art school as an oh, instructor. Yeah. Did you ever send away for that uh, thing? No, I never did. I, I did. And yeah. uh, like everybody, they went, yeah. "Yeah, you could be an artist. You should. <laughs> you really should. You're good. You really are. You're quite good. You Am should. I?" Yeah, Aww. yeah, you should send us money and uh, we should. Oh, gosh. You should do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah sure, you should do that. No, I think I saw the name of the course, Famous Artist, and went, that's not me. Yeah, you write about uh, Milk Toast. Uh, his name was Casper Milk Toast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I later, I later I've, I've <laughs> the often... Man who, sorry, the oh, sorry. man who speaks softly and gets hit with a big stick. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> he... um. Obviously, there was some sort of like I don't know if it was like a it was like a book club offering or something like that, because it's a very common book you'd see in Value Village when I was younger. I'd often see it there, and I mean, like I say, I did buy one for myself because I remembered the library book so vividly. But I bought one for myself, and I still have it, of course. You read about the bridge thing. He had a couple of his books: Webster's Bridge, mm. there you go, and Webster Unabridged. <laughs> uh, but I like I like this one: To Hell with Fishing. Mm. Yeah. There you go. Uh, who dealt this mess? Another bridge one. <laughs> bridge one yes. How to torture your husband? Mm-hmm. In 1948. But to be fair, followed up with how to torture your wife. Very good. 1948. Then life with okay. Rover. I guess uh, that marriage broke up, and one of them ended up living <laughs> with the dog. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, there was a best of book that uh, got published later on. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Uh, didn't uh, I'd never heard of him. Before. No, no. It's funny. It's just it's one of those sort of weird. Things because um, the cartoonist uh, Noah Van Skyver mm-hmm. has just issued like a kind of a, 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 like his own sort of like fan collection of H.T. Webster comics, and I was like, oh, interesting. Like, did you find that book that's so commonly seen in like in any kind of thrift store? It kind of weird, shows up weirdly because it must have been a, a book club book. I, I I can't imagine why it had such widespread, mm-hmm. uh, like why it's so common. Noah Noah does not uh, uh, share his uh, brother's uh, no no he's good. his own good, good on him he's his own guy I'm I'm glad to hear that because <laughs> there's a, that's enough of that 
That's yeah, it's kind of odd. It's kind of yeah. odd, but yeah, they grew up. They grew up Mormon. Okay. So they, he just wrote. He just um, published a graphic novel about the life of Joseph Andrews. Um, so yeah, it's out, out. If you want to want to get it. Okay. I and like no. I like the Noah Van Skyver stuff. I do. Li- I do like him, and he also has a kind of fun YouTube channel. He just talked with uh, Daniel Close recently. Oh, cool. Had a conversation with him on YouTube. Well worth watching. How many times have you met Daniel Klaus? Once with Peter Baggy when they were signing at the comic shop on West 4th. Did you not talk to him at, uh, or were you not there that time at 8? Was uh, was Klaus not uh, not around then? Uh, he might have been there, but I did not talk to him. Okay. <laughs> I did briefly um, just because you know, too shy. Around. Oh, that's fair. Too shy because he was really good. Like I'm, I have like the complete collection of Lloyd Llewellyn. That's how much I, like I bought them when they were coming out because mm-hmm. I... I liked the style so much, so I was I was sold on him right from the get go. Yeah, I was very excited when the first issue of Eight Ball was out. I got that from this weird little comic. I got both that and the first issue of Hate. Yes, uh, from from a weird little comic shop uh, on West Fourth. That wasn't the comic shop. It wasn't the comic shop? Okay. No, no. It was uh, it was uh, on uh, close to Burrard and Fourth. It was next to uh, very close to the Pizza Hut that's there. And there was just a little a little shop that sold magazines, wow, okay. and that's where I saw the first eight ball, and that's where I saw the first uh, issue of Hate. And they always had like something weird and interesting on their shelves. I was like, yeah. "What's this? <laughs> that was good. All right, well, I'll try that." You must have known who Peter Baggy was when Hate came out, though, because he was doing. Um, yeah, he was doing the Brad the Bradley Bradley stuff. stuff and neat stuff. Was he doing yeah. Weirdo? He had edited Weirdo. Then he was doing Neat stuff. Right, and then and then uh, hate came out. Uh, I wasn't the, as a continuation I wasn't of the, the biggest fan of neat stuff. It was all right, but it was more. Uh, <laughs> it was like you know, it was that kind of thing. It was yeah, like yeah. you know, it was shocky, shocky, mm-hmm. and and hate uh, was uh, more grounded and like you know, uh, getting deeper into the personality of the mm. characters, and then shocking things would happen. Yeah, and to me that was like much more effective than yeah. uh, just yeah. everything's crazy and it's all bananas and you know when <laughs> I remember when the Simpsons came out they went like the Simpsons is just the Bradleys but you know toned down man you know because the Bradleys is crazy and I'm like alright yeah maybe maybe you tone it down and that was it's <laughs> part of the appeal you yeah know? of course neat stuff wasn't just the Bradleys there was other characters as well yep. there was the little the little kid and the the kid with a little curled up nose. <laughs> yes, I forgot what the, what their names were. There was uh, the the DJ kind of guy, or the guy with the bowling shirt. That's right. Yeah, kind of a conservative guy. Yeah, conservative character. And then the the like the couple that were like kind of just bland. Obviously, sort of stand-ins for Peter Baggy and his wife. Just kind of like they would be, go to the mall and stuff like that, and and have their own sort of suburban. I think just generally survival. anthologies, even if they're anthologies by the same person, mm. don't super appeal to me with okay. the exception of, you know, eight ball, you know, okay. eight ball yeah. was so was, there was, it was an anthology book at first. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was so different, but the funny stuff was very funny and, yeah. the, and yeah. uh, everything, everything had its own tone. And for mm. some reason that worked for me. Yeah. No, I was a big fan of weirdo. I, I was on board very early on, and I used—I used to have a. I think I've somehow I've a couple have gone missing, but I used to have like a complete run up to like from one to thirty mm-hmm. of it. For some reason, a few of my early ones disappeared. I don't know. I found I found a couple of them at the Fourth Dimension in uh, New Westminster. Okay, that was one of those stores where yeah. if you spent the extra time and looked in the weird back issue boxes. <laughs> yeah, you'd you'd find stuff, and usually not where it should be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I found just, some Love and Rockets I was missing there one time. 
So that was a good, good, yeah. It was, a good, it was good to scour those little bookstores, little there, there were times messy on, comic on, shops. It was, it was so close to the college I was going to, to the point, unfortunately, sometimes where I'd, I'd go in and I'd buy the comics at lunch and I'd go like, I got classes in the afternoon, but I really want to read this now. <laughs> Do I need to go to that class? I don't know. It's a history of theater class. I can read the book. Do I need to, to tell? I it's fine. So now I don't know about Greek theater. Oh. Thanks a lot. Now I don't know about the frogs. <laughs> I don't know what that play was about. It was about farting. It was all about fart jokes. Oh, is that right? Oh. Yeah, the frogs was, was uh, fart jokes. Is that Aristophanes or something? Uh, it was uh, Toots Aristophanes. That's right. <laughs> and then Sophocles said, "Maybe we should have first names." And they went, boo, Sophocles, it's too hard to remember. It's like, no, we should have two names. It'll be, it'll be better. So then we'll keep the last name and pass it along to our, uh, you know, kids. Like, you're not having kids, Sophocles. <laughs> like, hmm, maybe I will. Maybe you uh, date some girls. Yeah, right, Sophocles. Nice job. Shut up, Plato. And they were mean. So mean. <laughs> yeah, Weirdo is pretty great. Pretty great. Yeah, I could see reading it now, and you'd, some stuff in there now, you'd be kind of like, hmm. Oh, do you think so? <laughs> yeah. Really? But it was sort of a I weird think some mix. of the crumb material might not go over well, too. I, I don't. Know, you have to get the context. I don't, even back yeah. then, I remember it was so shocking to people. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so funny because so much of that stuff was like, he was encouraged to do by his wife, which is so funny because she's the one who wanted him to do the autobio stuff and really like delve deep into himself. And then mm-hmm. that got him in so much trouble, which is so hilarious. But something like Uncle Bob's Midlife Crisis, I don't think is offensive at all and is very interesting. It's, you know, it's very text heavy, of course, because it's just him monologuing, but it's very interesting. Yeah, I enjoyed that. But I also enjoyed like Dory Seda and Diane Newman and people like that. And, Alien Crumb herself in there, Kaminsky Crumb, mm-hmm. who's just passed a away. Lot of, yeah, a lot of RIPs in there. Yeah. Uh, Diane uh, Newman, sorry, yeah. yeah, she also passed away. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And Dory Seda died very young of her, of her own kind of problems, but uh, but a very talented uh, cartoonist. You know, it was just sort of nice that he, you know, kind of um, trumpeted all these people, you know. Those are all folks that I would, like, again, in kind of meeting people in the comics industry, I've really not met any of any of those folks for the yeah. most part. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, Roberta Gregory, and sure. uh, and uh, I've met um, what's the name Trina Robbins quite a sure. few times. Okay. I've had dinners with her. Yeah, uh, but for the most part, yeah, the the underground cartoonists uh, intimidate the hell out of me. <laughs> I just feel you know they're going to call me a narc and uh, <laughs> beat you uh, up. Not, and not be wrong. I, I do want to narc them out. Um, beat you up and throw you down the stairs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they were cool. Cool in a different sort of way. Mm-hmm. Some of them were cool in like, oh yeah, that's cool, like cool in a 60s way. And some of them were cool because they're just so odd, like Crumb, you know, like he's just odd looking. But when he was young, it was just kind of, he had sort of a coolness to him because he's just such a, didn't, you know, didn't really meet, fit, fit well, in the scene at all, you know. People, there were people that felt like, to me, like, this is what they got to do because what the hell else are they going to do? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of like uh, stand-ups that are like that too. That's just like, well, this is the this is the option. Yeah, right? this is what you got. You must. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, otherwise you'll explode. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, that's definitely crumb. And, at as that I saw, point, as yeah. I always like say, when you see the documentary crumb and you see his two brothers, and the one brother did a little bit of art, and the one brother did no art and just let, lived with his mom, and you see the but was the most talented. Sure, sure. When he was younger. When he was younger. He that's had a, right. The most facility. Right. Yeah. And then took that bottle 
and then just put a cork in it, and then <laughs> well, you see what there happens. Was, uh, you you can see like there is those really fascinating uh, dra- drawings he did, like as he was heading into mental illness, where he just started adding all these wrinkles to everything he drew. Yeah, and it's just like becomes like obsessive compulsive, like adding all these weird wrinkles sure. until they just become like rant, like lines, like ripples. Everything's rippled looking, and uh, you know it's obviously that he's he's having issues, and there is like a one of those famous artists, uh, like the test that they would send out, you know, and yeah. that he, that Charles Crumb drew. And it is, it's funny, but it also is sad because you can see like the creeping mental illness. Yeah. Know? Sometimes, sometimes art is the closest you can come to reading someone's mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's weird when you, when you see the art of someone who is mentally ill, yeah. it can make you feel ill mm-hmm. as well like mm-hmm. there's something that's almost contagious it's, about it yeah it makes you squeamish yeah because yeah. you yeah. can see your brain i think your brain recognizes it as dangerous and yeah like this this kind of thinking will hurt you and so there is a get away from this yeah. get away from this now and also i think probably you know just uh, genetically we're, we're we're designed to like if there's someone that seems like they're mentally ill get away from them because they could be dangerous and kill you yeah and you know that sounds that sounds bad but in history that would have been a good thing to do quite often sure would be to get away from the person who you know is having issues it's, but, it's interesting with the crumb family like all, all the damage that there is there but we don't really know much about the sisters because they don't, they never have allowed themselves to be part of that story. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not in Crumb. They're not in the movie Crumb. They're not in any, they're not mentioned in any kind of biographies of Crumb or anything. There's like no comments from them about anything that their brothers did, you know, any of their, their hijinks or anything. They just have no, no comment, no part of it at all. They don't exist. They're kind of like that third Osborne sibling mm-hmm. that didn't want to take part in the reality show. And so, in people's minds does not exist as a member of the Osborne family. Obviously right. she's, she's there for Christmas and whatnot, but in our minds of what the Osborne family is, there's no third sibling, you know, and then the girls have kind of, both girls kind of did, did that as well. They just sort of disappeared from the, from the family history and just the brothers are left, you know, and all of them, all three of them are clearly damaged in, in various ways. And the one who survived is Crumb, who survived and thrived to a degree, you know, obviously still had issues, still had difficulties, which he's, mentioned many times in his in his comics and stuff like that you know gone through them but yeah charles he killed himself after the crumb was filmed and then maxon crumb who is like an aesthetic hermit you know and like you know practices that thing where he like eats Eats, a cloth cloth eats a cloth and it comes out his bone (laughs) at some point some point it travels through him and then comes out and i guess it's cleaned him or whatever i don't think we really need to do that but that's you know that's his thing but yeah, it's uh, and then he yeah he does kind of weird art and stuff like that and and then Jesse Crum Crum's son by his first wife Dana Crum who unfortunately died in a car accident but he was also a very talented artist you know and he's he's also appears briefly in the movie Crum where he's his dad is going through and kind of critiquing kindly not in a harsh way critiquing his art and they're comp- you know going through it going through his sketchbook and stuff and then also their own son or their own daughter. Aileen, Sophia, Sophia, yeah, or Sophie Crumb, yeah. Who did the art for? Uh, was it uh, uh, arts? Not art school confidential. A Ghost World, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, I think she did so. The yeah, for I that. think okay. she did the art uh, in that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. All that sort of, you know. There's a lot of uh, a lot of damaged cartoonists out there. It's a really interesting. It's a real, I guess I guess you could say that about musicians as well. There's something about about those those outlets that i think <clears throat> i th- yeah i guess you can say it about all artists really well i think you can say it about <coughs> excuse me a lot of just people period 
uh, except you you kind of get a glimpse into it if someone like shows you their art. And so you you know get a bit of a different perspective. I'm getting a second Coke, by the way. If you do want a second Coke. Yes, Coke? please. Yeah. All right. I have some dust in my throat. Okay. Vamp on the <coughs> idea of uh, art uh, and uh, mental illness. Go. Well, I was just thinking about Phoebe Gleckner, who um, wrote that book. I think it's called Diary of a Teenage Girl, where she details her affair that she had with her mom's boyfriend. So he was an older man, probably probably someone in his late 30s, mid to late 30s, who had a an affair behind his girlfriend's back with uh, with her daughter, which is pretty awful, obviously. But but Gleckner is is clear that she was part of, you know, she was aware of what was happening and and took part in it. But what's interesting about Gleckner now, and Gleckner uh, has a really interesting art style because she was a she drew uh, medical textbook illustrations, mm. and so she kind of applies that aesthetic to her art in a really interesting way. But what she's been doing lately is she's been doing like these really intricate, um, what would you, what do you call them? Dioramas. Okay. Of the disparacidos or disparacidas, I should say, the women who disappear in Mexico, like these women who just like fall off the face of the earth. And so she's been doing like this series of dioramas of this, uh, uh, uh kind of based around this. And they're really interesting. Uh, it's, mm. well, it's worth looking up. Uh, Phoebe Gleckner. L- okay. G-L-O-E-C-K-N-E-R, I think. Yeah, uh, G L L E C K N E R. That's yeah. correct. Yeah, and uh, yeah, she's quite. I really like her art style. I first saw. I think I don't know if she was in Weirdo. Maybe she was in the later Weirdo. But I saw her somewhere uh, in a in an anthology, and I really liked her way the way that she drew her com- her comics, and they were kind of related to Gleckner. Kind of. Yeah, worked. she was in Weirdo. She was in Young Lust, mm. Twisted Sister, Women's Comics. Yeah, so and, I've seen. Uh, okay, I've seen her in all of those. Research. I have, yeah. I have all of those. I don't have research, but I have all of those, like Young Lust and and Women and Women's Comics and stuff, because I was a big fan of the underground comics when I was a, and still am. I'm not going to say I've given up on them or anything. Right. I still am a fan of those all those books, and I really liked her style and uh, and her kind of really crazy honesty. Like once again, to someone who's completely candid, to, you know, to almost, uh, almost uh, too candid <laughs> about about their life and things they've done and stuff like that. Because she, her mom was like a was a pretty straight laced woman who married, had a daughter, and then decided she was going to be a hippie and moved to San Francisco, got a job in the library, and basically was like a hippie and just had like a string of boyfriends and stuff like that. And so Gleckner grew up in a very uh, unstable household and, right. and became kind of lived, lived in the street eventually and kind of got drawn into that life and, and then eventually got, got herself out of that and went to, went to college. And, and I think she's now a art, she teaches art at a university or college in the States. Okay. Because so I remember the last, last I've heard of her anyway. Yeah, all right. Yeah. I'm looking here. Yeah, she's an associate professor at the University of Michigan uh, Stamps School of Art and Design. Mm. And she's held the position since 2010. There you go. Yep. There you go, everyone. But there's a movie based on Diary of a Teenage Girl. With It's very good. It has... What's that? Is there? I yeah. Know about that. Yeah, yeah. It um, has a British actress in it whose name I can't remember who plays her. She's very good in the role. And then uh, the handsome... The handsome... Uh, Oh, what are the family? Uh, what's the family name now? Bill uh, Sarsgaard. There's a the Sarsgaard who is the Northman. Uh, Alexander Sarsgaard. He plays the the boyfriend. Oh, Kirsten Wiig is in it. Yes, I think she's the mum. Oh. In, in it. Oh wow! When did this come out? 2015. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't it, know how. I, I think it's this. on Tubi right now. All right. So you can see it there. Jeez, what are you, what are you getting sponsorship? <laughs> well, I just I just know what's on it because I I'm there all the time. 
Speaking of Tubi, I want to talk about this, actually. Sure. Okay, well, before we talk about Tubi, let's put a pin in that. Talk about whatever you want. Because I want to mention that uh, this week, we, I missed, I didn't, I got a day off work this week. Uh, did you want a day off work? I didn't really want a day off work because I'm, I have so much to do. But we had all the snow fall on Monday, Monday night. And uh, so when I got up at five, um, our, uh, our illustrious leader was writing and he's saying, um, you know, I'm thinking of canceling the canceling today. What do people think? And, and I wrote and said, well, I said, I think I could make it in. But if other people don't want to go, I understand. You just yeah. sent a picture in of you on a sled going down a hill. I just photoshopped my head onto like a, a drawing of a kid going down the hill on a yeah. sled. And, and then sent the uh, trailer for snow day. <laughs> Best wishes. Right. But then they said, uh, then, but then they said, okay, work's canceled. So I was like, okay. So the funny part of that was that, okay, I can't drive to work now because, uh, but I have to now have to drive to Chilliwack because Lisa had agreed to drive Mary to the dentist for dental surgery because Mary's getting, was getting her wisdom teeth pulled out. Okay. So we had to leave at seven. So we packed up, packed, you know, and got going at seven and drove out to, uh, drove out to Chilliwack and it was, it was bad driving conditions. Let me tell you, it was crazy. Yeah. Uh, it was really snowy. It was about 15 meters visibility in front of you. Oh, jeez. Uh, it was wise. Did if you're... you consider maybe not going to the dentist on that day? <laughs> well, we didn't know what was going to happen. So we're like, well, we better get going in case because we can't. We have to. Because it took us about an hour and 20 minutes to drive out there because I was not going fast. I was going about, yeah, good. about 50 kilometers an hour good. along the, the freeway. And, and there was a lot of, I think we counted about 23 cars that had gone off the road and onto into the median. There was one truck upside down. Yeah, there was a car that passed us quite quickly, and we later saw him in the in the side. It was like, oh brother, why were you doing that? I could have just followed everyone else. Like there's one point where I we reached like a curve, and I would look behind me, and I could see all these car like all these car lights following us. I said, oh look at all these cars following us. She, Lisa said, yeah, why not? It's a good you know, like just get in behind these people. They're driving at a yeah, good yeah. speed, and then you don't have to you don't feel pressured by other people to go faster. You just go, look, this guy in front of me is driving slow. Um, yeah, there was all these trucks pulled over, like two, two lanes, like two deep along the side of the, the highway. Just, they just gave up. And it's kind of like, I'll just sleep. I'll just <laughs> drive in the morning when it's clearer, you know. And uh, yeah, it was quite a drive. It's quite scary. When the, and of course, we're driving across Sumas Prairie. So when the, and there's no like break, no wind breaks. So it was just like when the wind blew, it would just blow the snow in front of you and you couldn't yeah. see anything at all. And you know now what happened? I wouldn't want to be driving more than the speed I was going, uh, like in that. Because even even when you're going slow, you 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 don't consciously do it, but you start to kind of wiggle your wheel a little bit because you can't see anything. And then you're kind of like, am I driving straight? Straight? Am I curving? I can't. Where'd the road go? <laughs> so you you just find yourself like you know reacting like that. And it's if you're going too fast, I mean you're going to lose control of your car. So yeah, so we we got out, we got past Chilliwack, and we started to get light then, and then. Um, then Mary texted and said, oh, appointment's canceled. Ugh. But then we're like, well, we're almost at your place. So we'll just come by and say hi. So we, but actually that felt like the worst part of it because we had to go off the freeway, go past the stuck milk, milk truck, and then head down into, uh, go through the farmland and then go up into the mountains. So it was like a big hill. So I just took that at 30 and just kind of kept steady speed, 30, 30, 30, all the way up. And uh, there's a guy behind me, of course, impatiently driving close, like, you're like, guy, Dude. What's, what's the point? Yeah. We're not going, it's nothing's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I don't want to. Everyone's have to... <laughs> frustrated, but this can't help them. Yeah. So yeah, then we drove around. Ugh. 
uh, drove down, down to where Mary lives, and then uh, which was very deep. There it was like boat about a foot and a half deep, the snow, so pretty deep. And then uh, we went and said hi and stayed there for a little bit. Watched a couple of Christmas episodes of Community, and then uh, mm-hmm. Lisa had a bath because Mary had said uh, if you bring a book, you can have a bath at our place because she's been really missing having a bath because our oh, okay. the bath the, the the eternal bathroom project is still going on going on. So, um, so yeah. So that was nice. So we did that, and then we headed back, and we stopped in Abbotsford, had had some lunch, and then uh, went home. So that was a good day, and I wrapped some presents. Felt like I was getting stuff done. Uh, so that was good. It, just, it that just makes me think of uh, when I was doing uh, corporate events for uh, improv company. Yeah, and uh, I was I was there with like you know um, uh, Gary Jones from uh, Stargate and okay. uh, someone else. I forgot who the other person was, but it was the three of us going to do a, a corporate event like. Some about two hours out of town, and we're on like I, f- I forget what the major highway was, maybe yeah. Coquihalla or some such. But it was snowy, and yeah, we just we were driving, and you saw other cars in the ditches, like they're just cars, they're yeah, in the yeah. ditches. Yeah. And then we watched like a car go into a ditch, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, we pulled over to um, the gas station at one point. We need to fill up, which was interesting because by that point, okay, this is a side story on that. We're just like, man, we need to pee so bad. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, well, I really need to pee. And so we get to the gas station and then there's this big lineup coming out of the van. It's just like, you can't wait. And I'm a man. So this is how this goes. <laughs> so went uh, and like, uh, I'll go pee behind the dumpster. No one will know. Yeah. I go pee behind the dumpster and it's like an atomic bomb cloud comes up. <laughs> Because it's so cold, right? So it's like clear that I'm peeing on the dumpster. There's no two ways about it. Uh, but then we have a discussion where we're just like, people are like, we should not do this. Mm. This is not worth our lives. This yeah. is like legitimately dangerous. Yeah. You know, it's just like all these ditches. Like, how many warnings do you need to get? And it's like, <laughs> but we got to do the gig. Yeah. I'm like, no, we don't have to do the gig. <laughs> you know, how important is it that we go and we do like seven improv scenes? Yeah. You know, we do like a moving bodies. We do a hands on knees. <laughs> we do an arm scene. And we do a story from the audience. It was just like, yeah, but I've never missed a show before. Yeah, you could also miss a show because you're dead. And like, would this be the, uh, it's worth it. because No. And so, uh, you know, it was one of those where, you know, the other guy was just like, well, if you guys don't want to, I'll be, you know, they weren't yeah, yeah. have an opinion on it. Yeah. And it was like, no, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Blame it on me. Blame it on me. I'm the guy who was like, no, oh, I'm the sour ball. I don't want to go. <laughs> like, so we ended up going back. And I uh, I do not regret it. Yeah. I think there's a certain point when you see the death. You know, if you got into an, a- an accident then and you were now the 12th car that was in a ditch, mm-hmm. that's on you. Because yeah. you saw the other t- the other 11. Yeah. And, you know, and you, just, you made the choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you- I mean, you can't predict it, of course, but I feel like... Well, we were driving the truck. We had the four-wheel drive on, and I just think if you drive sensibly, you you can be you can manageable. But the problem, of course, is that other people might not be driving sensibly, yeah, yeah. so things yeah. things can people be People in BC don't know how to drive in the snow. The <laughs> it's not that people don't know how to drive in the snow. It's that but they don't. That is a factor, though. It's that um, our snow is so slippery that it's hard to even with snow tires and or even all all season tires and things that reasonable precautions it's it's still tricky because it's so wet and and so and it gets so icy that it becomes dangerous so yeah i have to be careful yep but uh yeah it was uh, it was interesting it was fun but driving here today it was fine because the roads are you know the snow has melted off the roads but it's still so cold out yeah that the snow is not 
like it's not icy. It's just become like a granular thing. Well, as I said through. to you, I was out like running a couple of errands, mm-hmm. just walking errands. Yeah. And I watched like five to six people do big slips. Yeah. And then I watched a, a truck, uh, you know, not stop at a red light and just like go through it on a major intersection. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of this. But that happens all the time. People slipping? No, the truck's going through lights because they can't, they don't have to, they don't have time to stop. Okay, I don't remember seeing that. Maybe so, I'm more aware of it, yeah. uh, you know, when I'm like looking at the trucks going, mm-hmm. can they stop? Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of, uh, buses skidding around. Mm-hmm. And I guess. And, and the other thing too, I take the bus a lot. Yeah. And, uh, the way buses are doing things now is they just stop in the middle of the road. Yeah. yeah. And, is, and so, you know, the elderly people are like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, you gonna stop through like you know, a whole bunch of slush and yeah, a whole bunch yeah. of this, that, and the other, and then the slippery, slippery road yeah. all the way there. They're on a you know shoveled sidewalk, but the road sure ain't shoveled. No, that's a problem. And uh, and it's like, well, that's great for regulars, but you know, people need to get to the bus. This yeah. is this is a stinkeroo. And again, I'm from uh, you know when I was a kid, uh, grew up in Montreal, so like <laughs> we would have snow. Yeah, but like the second there was snow, well then here comes the snowblower. And the snowblower would clear the roads. Mm. And then, you know, uh, all of us would take out our snowblowers and we would clear like uh, our sidewalks and whatnot. And, and, you know, I remember being like a little kid and, uh, and, and using the snowblower and it was fun. Yeah. You know, and uh, we clear it up and there we go and we're good. And here it's mm, <laughs> good luck. Well, we, we, we shovel our sidewalk and make sure things are clear. And then, uh, one of our neighbors, uh, plowed the road. So. That mm-hmm. was nice because he has a snowplow in the front of his well, truck. I, I so. mean, I'd love to salt the uh, the walk. Yeah, but no one's got salt. Oh, is that right? Yeah, no everything's sold out. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 look, you know, it, it feels like to me this is like the third year in a row that we've been crazy surprised by the need for salt. And uh, as I usually say, it's just like just have too much salt. Then, <laughs> like Canadian Tire. Oh, you can't have too much salt. It's weird because the one in Langley had salt when I was there. Is that right? Couple days ago, the one yeah. on uh, the one the ones here do, do not mm. uh, at all. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's like salt don't go bad. So just like, <laughs> order too much salt, and you know it's the as they say it's the it's the thing that preserves other things. It's not going to go bad. Yeah, have more than you need because you're going to need it because you get you get like every year it's what are you going to do? We're out of the salt. Yeah, this is this is what I'm getting like all day today. It's just like people shrugging their shoulders and go I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Man. what are you gonna do yeah to the point where i like i i know what the thing's gonna be beforehand so i don't even ask i almost like uh our local butcher uh yesterday we we called to ask about uh, a turkey and like you know if you got any turkeys left and it was like no we got uh the avian flu knocked them all out this year like mm. so like most of the turkeys we would normally have are, are gone so <laughs> you know all they're doing right now is like saying no to people on turkeys and they're all sad okay yeah so they're all bummed out. But you can get it like at Safeway or whatever. If you want to get a frozen turkey, you can get one. You can get a frozen turkey, yeah. yeah but you yeah. can't get like the, the you know, Fancy. the turkey that went to college and uh, <laughs> had a good life. Got and then, yeah, yeah. you know, just went, you know, on, once again, on his deathbed. Yeah. You know, it's turkey priest next to him. Yeah. Just like gobble, 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 gobble. <laughs> gobble be with you. Gobble be with you. And then yeah, yeah, the yeah. family just puts on the turkey's life. favorite song, which so, is, you know. 
uh, the chicken dance, oddly enough. Oh, strange. Which should be the turkey trot, now that I'm thinking about it. But, you know, the turkey picks its own uh, <laughs> music. You have no control over this. Yeah, it's just, it actually adds authenticity to the story that I wasn't believing until that moment. Right. I thought that's just too odd a detail to not be true. Right. Yeah. And the family, like, leaves and gobble, 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 gobble. gobble. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He died doing what he loved. Gobbling. Yeah, gobbling. Was, uh, how, how was he killed? Autoerotic asphyxiation. Yeah. Like, really? Oh, that's oh, odd. I feel weird that the minister yeah, was why there. Why was he there? Oh, no, the minister was part of it. <laughs> min- quite frankly, the minister suggested it. Oh. Yeah. Turkey culture is a little different than Oh, ours. turkey. The, oh, yeah. the turkey church yeah, yeah. is disturbing yeah. on its best day. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they do have a nice death Interesting culture ruled yeah. by the Goblin King. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I remember like uh, when I saw the Goblin King in uh, The Hobbit. Do you remember the Goblin King in The Hobbit? Yeah, it's very, uh, it's very, um, I don't know, what's, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, well, Del Toro, very, uh, yeah. It's, not Del Toro. What's, it, what's that director's name? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 uh, Peter Jackson. Not Peter Jackson, though. Well, Peter Jackson directed The Hobbit. I know, but he took over from... The Italian director. Oh, then it was oh, Del sorry, Toro. Spanish, the Mexican yeah. director, Del Toro. Okay, sorry. Yeah, uh, Guillermo. Oh, yeah, Guillermo, Guillermo Del, Toro, Del Toro, yeah. Yeah. Because those, those designs of those characters feel very Del very Toro. Gross to, yeah, very, very yeah. Del Toro to me. I remember, like, seeing the, the Hobbit and just going, like, woof. Like, the last time I saw this guy, he was David Bowie. Mm. He really let himself go. Like, <laughs> he was a very handsome man juggling three crystal balls in his head. Mm. And then just, bleh, bleh, bleh. I'm like, okay. Someone had a couple of rough years. <laughs> Fair enough. Or if you look at it and think that The Hobbit took place in the past mm. and uh, and Labyrinth takes place in more modern day, then he really got his shit together. Sure. And really, you know, or put a glamour on and he really looks like that in the in the old timey days yeah i watched uh P- pinocchio the del toro pinocchio on netflix okay i watched uh the uh robert zemeckis uh, one i watched the uh, honest trailer for all the pinocchios that came oh, out this okay. year okay <laughs> so i generally know the plot yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I i started to watch that pinocchio and then the second song i just went i'm done i'm done for now i might come back later <laughs> you, didn't, you weren't ready for a musical it was, it was, it was like the second song was like just this variation on what's this from, uh, from Nightmare Before Christmas. Just mm. like, what's this thing in here? And what's this thing up there? What is this? And what is this? And I am done. I'm done. I can't, I can't do it. I can't do these songs. Nope. 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 Not at all. I enjoyed it. Okay. Good. I enjoyed it. So that was I hear it really went, uh, kind of away from the main storyline, went, did, did its own thing with historical yeah. references and whatnot. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's nice. It went its own place. And oh, it thing. went to a Del Toro place. So it involves fascists and, and uh, takes place during wartime. And yeah, yeah, sure, exactly what where he likes to put his movies. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it was it was good though. I enjoyed it. I would recommend it. Yeah, they compared it to or didn't compare it, but they did uh, riffs on it and the um, Tom Hanks one, the uh, Robert Zemeckis one, yeah. Robert Zemeckis one, uh, and uh, the Polly Shore one, the Russian one. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I have not seen anything from that. Oh, but I, you don't. It's fine. I don't really need to, but that sounds interesting, The Honest Trailer. So. We keep going. Yeah. it's No, it's fine to watch. It's fine to watch The Honest Trailer. You know, uh, the Pinocchio Well is one we keep going back to. And <laughs> I think the, the, the... Public domain. Yeah. And I don't think, like, I think both the Zemeckis one and this one go with the idea that, you know, Geppetto had a dead son. Mm. And, uh, and so this boy might have the soul of the son... Or some ways, part, 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 partly the son 
which I don't think was like in any of the other I, I stories. I don't. I didn't. That didn't come across to me in the Del Toro one. So okay. Yeah. Well, definitely in the Del Toro one, he had a dead son. Yes, yes, but uh, the idea of the, his soul inhabiting the the puppet did not. Well, wasn't uh, wasn't uh, doesn't start with like the the grave is next to the tree and the tree is what what you you make Pinocchio out of and so it was like basically a tree that grew next to the grave of the sun. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a connection there. Then it's like right next to it there. I guess that's not and really. It's a, it's a I mean, I guess you could read it that way. It's not really. It's not really a a part of the the subtext or text of the film. So okay. Yeah, because he he hates the tree and chops it down. That's why he and then violently makes this crummy puppet out of it. <laughs> it's only half finished because he's yeah. drunk. Yeah, it's uh, and I I thought it was enjoyable. And then yeah, it has all those Del Toro touches of the the wood nymph coming out and then the death and all that stuff. Yeah, and uh, and they have the um his whatever uh, historically accurate angel uh, kind of. A character as the blue fairy it's a it's an angel that's like it's, got a, all, it's a wood nymph is it yeah well why's it got all the eyeballs on it then i don't know because well, it's, that's an it's angel a, thing is that an angel thing yeah like all these eye, eyeballs like uh, yeah the accurate angels are like real creepy monsters An- angels are well, creep, creep. i don't know how i don't know what accurate angels are but well how they describe <laughs> them in the past is like angels are described as having like a whole bunch of eyeballs on them and oh, okay. uh, you know any description of angels is uh oof <laughs> okay yeah i mean it's that's not opinion that's just how angels just, were described yeah, it, you know yeah. that's just that's how they were described and mm-hmm. so it looks like the the blue fairy or the whatever's the equivalent of the blue fairy that you're saying is a wood nymph yeah uh was you know definitely took aspects of you know old-timey angels okay which seems it would be something that del toro would do you know if it was well he loves angel. he loves eyeballs anyway if, he does like an eyeball we all know the, that famous monster from uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, Bali. He, he loves those. He loves uh, eyeball motifs. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting. And then uh, it's also kind of fun that uh, Kate Blanchett plays a monkey in the movie as well, because she was doing Nightmare Alley with Del Toro, and she just said, I, "I would love to do something for Pinocchio. I'll just whatever you want." And he said, "Well, the only part I have left is a monkey." And she's like, "Oh, I'll do that. I'll do it." <laughs> so sure. she's quite good. Hey, hey she's, she's a monkey. She does quite a good job. And so on. Yeah, here we, yeah, it was uh, Ezekiel 1. Uh, the, the prophet uh, describes angels with a series of images, including uh, wheels covered in eyes. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So that's where like the multiple eyeball thing comes. So I've seen like a couple of people draw angels like over. It seems to be something people are grabbing onto a bit now. Oh, right. And just like you're doing an angel, get out your eyeballs. <laughs> Here we go. You, so uh, if you enjoy apocryphal language, the Ezekiel is for you. Very good. Don't know nothing. <laughs> uh, but you uh, were tangenting off of tangent. And you were yeah, I was going to say something about Tubi because um, yeah. I wanted to recommend a movie that I saw on there. Uh, watch it. Last week, actually, and I was going to mention it last, last show, but the conversation, uh, you know, it just didn't fit for whatever reason. I couldn't fit it in. Mm-hmm. But um, it's called Behind the Green Door. Behind the Green Door. <laughs> the Green Door. Um, no, it's a film called Looking for Her. So, as you know, I've been enjoying watching all these kind of very uh, small, uh, small independent films, but most of them are like, many of them are like, uh, LGBTQ films on, uh, on, uh, 
Tubi, which is kind of fun. But the ones I like the best are like rom-coms because that's okay. I love rom-coms. And it seems until uh, Bros came out that what I can from what I can tell, guys don't aren't really into doing rom-com movies. Hmm. It's weird. Like they like dramas. They like kind of really like you know. My mom hated me because I was gay and blah, 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 those kind of movies. And then, you know, working, working it out. But they don't really want to go. And they'll do comedies, but they're more farcical. Okay. They're not really, not like rom-com farcical, but more like, you know, just kind of like, you know, hiding it from someone and blah, blah, blah. Uh, which is, is fun, but it's not, it's not quite. So, so now in, um, what I've noticed though, in, uh, these films, especially with the lesbian films, there's this weird, so it's a subgenre, but it's a subgenre of a subgenre, okay. which is the coming out at the holidays movie. Sure. So, of course, we have Happiest Season with Kristen Stewart, probably the yeah. most well-known one, uh, the Cleo Duvall film, which is one of the most frustrating movies you'll ever watch. And you pretty much want to strangle one of the characters before the movie is even halfway over. And it's such a weird film because it's, I don't even know if they realize like how unpleasant like the the character is being hmm. like it's have you seen it no nope. so in that film uh Kristen Stewart and I can't remember the other actors actress's uh, name but they are um a, a couple and so this the one girl on the spur of the moment for the first time ever in their relationship invites her to come to their family home for for Christmas okay and so Kristen Stewart, of course, is a little unwilling because this girl... Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie Davis is still not... Or her character's named Harper in the film. But it, in, she um, she still hasn't uh, come out to her parents. Oh, right. And so Kristen Stewart is kind of like, well, I don't know if this is like a good idea for... So, no, this would be perfect. You come. I'm going to tell everything to my parents. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so so uh, Kristen Stewart goes there and we meet parents played by Victor Garber and Mary Steenberg and other parents. And right. they're, they're kind of uptight people. He's the How politician. How many things can Victor Garber be in? How many what, sorry? How many things can Victor Garber be in? <laughs> as much as he wants, I suppose. He's in a lot of things. Is busy? Yeah, he's a working actor. You just look over here and just like, oh, he's in that legal drama. Wait a second, he's also in Legends of Tomorrow. He's Firestorm. Wait a second, oh, he's over here. Wait, wait, he's over there. Yeah. He's in this, he's that. Well, I guess it's a Christmas movie. You can't have Christmas without Jesus. Yes, there you Makes go. Makes sense, Okay. So yeah, he's they're like he's a politician. He's in the middle of this campaign, sure he is. and so that starts putting pressure on. The, is it a family values campaign? Yes, it's oh, part okay. of it. All right, fair and so it's putting pressure on Harper to to stay in the closet. And so then Kristen Stewart's character comes, and uh, she gets like put into the unpopular sister's basement bedroom, you know, awkward basement bedroom that's now a storage closet as well as having a bed in it. Right. And it's just, so she's in the closet. She's in the closet, literally. We got it. Yeah, we, we see what you're saying. All right. <laughs> and but in the film, it's just like this frustrating series of like things where Harper denies and and negates Kristen Stewart's character, and it's so awful. And like I say, you're just like before the movie's over, you just like have a like a tension headache, and you're you're ready to like murder someone. And uh, yeah, I don't know if, if anyone's seen it. That I'm sure you'll back me up on this. Is how frustrating that film is. So that's done badly. Right. And then there's an... Oh, she was in the F word. Okay. The, uh, Mackenzie Davis? Mackenzie Davis, Davis. Mm. yeah, yeah. Okay. The, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. She plays the uh, girlfriend of yeah. uh, of uh, that guy, Adam yeah, Driver. Adam yeah. Driver. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's funny, because yeah, her character is so different in that movie for char- compared to that movie where she's sort of an uptight. Uh, Elson Brie is in the film. Dan Levy. Levy Dan, Dan Levy's really good in it. Yeah. He's, he's like and, the voice and, of reason. Was, they got Dan Levy just before it was impossible to get Dan Levy, yeah. so... <laughs> 
they, it was great, great. Okay. Apparently a friend of Clea Duvall who directed the film. And yeah, so it's, but it's a very frustrating film. Even though they have like a lot of talent in it, the, the, uh, the unpopular sister is great in the movie. She's this fantastic Jane's character. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of like competing between the two sis- two sisters, not Jane's character, but the other two sisters, Alison Brie and Mackenzie Davis, and ugh. And then Christian, and then Christian Stewart is like meets Aubrey Plaza, mm-hmm. who's like this super cool, really nice woman who she should be having a relationship with, and you're just kind of like, let's get those two together because this yeah, is yeah, this yeah. is much better. That would be a good twist, but it doesn't happen. Ugh. I know. Too bad. So there's that movie. And then on Tubi, there's another film called... And Mary Steenburgen is in it as well. I said that. Did you? Okay, yeah. I was just going to say, like, as uh, the mom of everybody in the universe, <laughs> she's everybody's mom, Mary Steenburgen. She's more people's moms than Catherine <laughs> O'Hara. She's certainly taken on that role. Yeah. Did I ever tell you that she had a, a weird brain thing that um, she started uncontrollably writing music, like writing songs? Could she write songs before? No. How were the songs? Good. One of them was used in a movie, and that movie... Um, um, I think it's called Ram. No, it's called something Rose. Ramblin' Rose. Not Ramblin' Rose. No, it's the one from um the the Scottish movie about the the girl who sings country music. Okay, I know she she was in Ragtime. Uh, let's see. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So she was started she started writing these songs, and so a friend like hooked her up with writers in Nashville, and she yeah. started writing songs with them. This happened after surgery on yeah, her arm. Yeah, I'm not making it up. I know, that's just such a weird story. <laughs> like, that's such a weird story that, like, you know, and they use this song in a movie. Yeah, you know what? Fuck that movie. This is the movie. <laughs> the movie is about the woman who had arm yeah, surgery yeah. and yeah. then became a musician. Sure. That's your movie. I don't care but what you But she didn't become other. a musician. She just wrote songs. Like, Fair she, enough. She had to, like, that's what I mean. Like, she had to, like, I think if you write songs, put together, you're a musician. Put, well, she can't, like, play a guitar or anything. Like she can't like yeah, she couldn't yeah. sit down on a piano and go here's the song. Yeah, but you're still a musician. So she had to work with she had to work with people to help like okay. form form them into songs. So and does stuff Mel like Brooks? That. That's how he writes musicals. Yeah, uh, but I'd say he's a musician. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever your movie was that you put that song in, the better movie is about a steam virgin story where you get arm surgery and now you can write songs. That's a better that's a better movie. Do that movie. Do that movie now. <laughs> Wild Rose. Wild Rose. Yeah, that's a good movie. Weird. Does she still have the ability to do it? I think it went away. What? Yeah. That's also weird. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Like, is that then worth... Oh, man. That's almost like... Like, I know she's got shit to do with her life. She's mm-hmm. got to, you know, take care of Ted Danson. But, like... <laughs> and everyone else, because she's everyone's she's mother. She's everyone's mom. Yeah. That Catherine O'Hara can't be, you know. And she couldn't, because she, Catherine O'Hara is already Dan Levy's mom in another thing. So yeah. So, can't yeah. be in a movie with Dan Levy. And, 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 and. Yeah. Uh, but, like, it almost feels like you would want to go, like, hey, doctors... Uh, check my brain out and see what happened because the ability, what happened and what went away mm. because maybe we now have the way to make people write songs. That's just so strange. If only we understood how the brain works. Um, okay. Anyway, please continue. Yeah, it's, inter- it's an interesting uh, thing. Anyway, so there's another movie on Tubi called uh, Les Bomb in that. Is it a French movie? Or no, it's is not. It like lesbian bomb. Lesbian bomb. Like she's L- gonna she's L-E-S gonna drop or L-E-Z? L-E-Z. She's gonna drop the les bomb on her family. Okay. And once again, this movie has a few people that are well known in the cast. Um, my, uh, Bruce Dern is in it. Cloris Leachman, um, the comedian whose name I can remember. That guy who's the the he's always the he's a bad guy in Law and Order, but he's a also a comic. 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know who I mean, right? Yeah, Kevin Pollock. Kevin Pollock, yeah, isn't it? Uh, and uh, Bobby Farrelly is, uh, was executive producer on it mm. from mm. something about Mary and all those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's written and directed by, by the girl who also stars, but plays a lead role in the film. Sounds good. And so this is right up my alley. I love movies that are written, directed, and then have the actress and then the person also stars in it. To me, that's just like the ultimate and like independent movies. So I was so, when I saw this, I was like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be like the cure for happiest season. This is going to be awesome. So I started watching it. And once again, it is so frustrating <laughs> that I almost took my TV and threw it out the window. This is not frustrating because the girl is a jerk, although she is a jerk to her girlfriend. Right. It's frustrating because the entire film hinges on no one listening to anyone else through the entire movie. So anytime anyone wants to tell someone something, they immediately jump to the wrong conclusion and then railroad over anyone's, uh, you know, trying to correct them. You know, so, so, uh, this, so in this case, once again, it's a, a long-term couple. It's decided that this, that the, the, you know, the main character's girlfriend is going to meet, come to the girl's house a day or two after she's gone so that she's going to clear the way. Mm-hmm. So when this girl arrives, She's dropped the les bomb. She's told her parents that she's gay. Everything's okay. And then this girl's going to come. She's going to meet the parents and then blah, blah, blah. So when she gets there, her friend, who's kind of is undercutting her, this other guy, has shown up. And it's just like, come for Thanksgiving. This is a Thanksgiving movie, by the way. It's not a Christmas movie, but it is a holiday movie. Because apparently Thanksgiving is a big deal in the States. So you'll see, like, it's a holiday movie. You're like, oh, it's a Christmas film. And then it takes place at Thanksgiving. You're like, what? But anyway, so then... um. So yeah, so this guy's there and he's kind of, he's sort of, he's sort of like undercutting this girl, right? Like he's, he obviously has a thing for her and he's trying to like, you know, manipulate things. And so now the parents think that they're an item, this mm. guy and this girl. And she's like trying to like say, no, we're not. I'm going to tell you something about myself, but they never listen. And then they become convinced that she's pregnant and it just keeps s- snowballing from there and it just gets worse and okay. worse <laughs> until, like I say, the TV ended up in my front lawn. And uh, it's, just, it's just so frustrating. And then also she's, she acts like an asshole to her girlfriend because, you know, she gets, and she just isn't willing to like, or whatever. She just wants like this perfect moment to tell her parents and she's not willing to like, just shut them up and just tell them, you know, so it's just, oh, anyway, you're just ready to, to jump to your death because it's just so frustrating. So those two films, I'm like, this is the worst subgenre of subgenres that's ever existed. Yeah. There can be no good movie like this. I'm waiting for you to say now there is one. But the other day, a movie comes up. It's called Looking for Her. And I was like, "Uh oh, another another Christmas movie, another. Won't be fooled again. (laughs) That's right. Will Dave watch it? Oh, it's written and directed by a woman who stars in it. She's not the lead character, but she she is the second lead. All right. So I was like, oh, man. So, um, this movie is a little different though. So in this film, the lead character, whose name is Taylor, she's a local actress. Her name's Olivia Buckle, the lead actress. Okay. Uh, that's another reason to watch it. A good Vancouver 8. All right. I'm getting the, the wrong movie up here. So this is not the one. Looking for her? That's a yeah. 2022 film. Yeah. This one is. It's uh, brand new. This one is a, a French drama film. Uh, looking for her. Cherchez la femme. Le vous, uh, souhait d'être Follement ami. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so in this film, mm-hmm. uh, Taylor, the lead, lead, lead character, she, uh, has, she came out to her parents. We learned this. What's clever about this film is, is it doesn't tell you things straight out necessarily. 
things just kind of come out through the story, which I really, oh, that's I nice. like that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's harder to harder to write. Sure, but you know, it's Christmas because at the website she works at, they're putting together a top five things to do at Christmas. You know, putting together these little kind of uh, BuzzFeed type lists and stuff like that. Right. And so those kind of give you clues. You're like, oh, I guess Christmas is coming. Oh, this girl's working in a, in a cafe and she's wearing a Santa hat. I guess Christmas is coming. No one says, Christmas is coming. We better get ready. Um, but this, so this girl um, gets a, co- a call from her parents because her dad calls. And it's really disturbing to her because she hasn't talked to her parents in three years. Mm. And she came up to them and they reacted badly. And she cut off all ties with them and apparently not interested in seeing them anymore if that's how they're going to be. And then they call. They kind of, they, you know, try to get... In, get in touch with her he just leaves a phone message because and then um she listens to it and you can see she's disturbed by it and then she does you know and she finally talks to her dad uh and then you know he's like well we'd really like you to come for christmas like we'd love to see you and we'd love for you to bring jess and this is a big deal for her because they've never said her girlfriend's name before oh okay and so she immediately agrees to come the only problem is that she and jess broke up two months ago so here's your romantic comedy problem and so her friend's like, well, maybe you could like get someone to, well, actually her friend's advice is to just go by yourself. Yeah. Just go by yourself. And yeah, that's the good advice. But her, friend, her, her feeling is, no, because then my parents win. I'm just showing up as a single person. I'm not, I'm not who I am. I'm just like the same person that left. You know, I can't, you know, like I'm not bringing a girl, nothing, you know, so she refused to do this. She's like, it feels like a win. So she decides she's going to like advertise on a dating site, you know, looking for someone for to be my girlfriend for a week or whatever. Sure. And so then you get a fun montage of like all these various kind of kooky characters, you know, who come to to uh, apply for this part, including a guy who she sees and she's like, no, no. <laughs> it's like, what? What? No. Let's get out. Um, yeah. And it's quite good. And then and eventually she, uh, through circumstances, winds up with this girl. And then it's a romantic comedy. Can I say that? And it's really good. Something I almost always think when I see one of those montages. Yeah. Uh, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, whether it's like we're auditioning babysitters mm-hmm. or, you know, what, what have you, or like these are the people who are applying for the job yeah. or whatever. And they have crazy characters. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then I'm, I always feel like I'd rather see a movie with these guys. <laughs> like I just want to see them. Like what I want to yeah. see then is immediately is just like, then we cut out. Outside, and like a, a person is like leaving the job interview, just like no, didn't get it, and just like, yeah. are you doing anything right now? What do you mean? I don't know. We're all gonna go get drinks. Like, oh, okay. And then we follow the crazy characters, sure. and made, that's the movie. They made that that's movie already. One hundred percent more interesting. They made that movie. It's called Slacker. Okay, that's good. <laughs> but it's like uh, in Mystery Men, where it's just like all the you know the the waffler and whatever it is. I mean, I don't want to see the Dane Cook. Uh, character for too long, but like you know, all these crazy characters. Like, yeah, let's see where where, where they go. Where were they? What's happening with them? Mm. You know, uh, yeah, it's nice. I'd like to see that. But so so things worked out for. Her. I mean, that would be fine, but it's not a romantic comedy. <sighs> I'm there for the romantic comedy. So uh, okay, <laughs> but it's a really good romantic comedy. So if you like romantic comedies, yeah, and you want a Christmas film, I would recommend looking for her. It's on Tubi. It's for free. Check it out. Okay. And there we go. That's your romantic comedy uh, recommendation of for Christmas. We yeah. better than happiest season for sure for Christmas you know, he, comedy. Uh, there's been a lot of blowback on Love Actually. People like Love Actually. Yeah. Then people blow back on Love Actually. British, I've thinking about thinking about it. I was watching a British film called Baked Bean 
the other day on Tubi. <laughs> and uh, British people don't know how to do romantic comedies. That's all. That's okay. all I'm going to say about it. Stop there. Full stop. Disagree. Um, I think uh, they do and they can, uh, like, uh, I think a, a good uh, romantic comedy is uh, Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> I don't think of it as a romantic comedy. I do. I think of it very much as a romantic comedy because it's a they've uh, they've they've broken up things or, or things are uh, like on the outs, mm. and then uh, through a series of circumstances, uh, they end up getting back together and they see each other for uh, who they really are. And while you're still doing the typical lies that are the romantic comedy things, like bringing the flowers. You know, that weren't the flowers. Mm. And then uh, her realizing they were the flowers for the mom. Like, listen, there's a lot of gruesome <laughs> scenes that are in that movie that yeah. are shocking scenes. Mm. But the scene that made the audience go, go, was where he gives her the flowers. And then she reads the card and realizes the flowers were originally for his mom. Mm. And she, he just went, I got these for you. And it's just this, no. And in like any romantic comedy, that is a that is a kick-ass, good comedy, awful moment, beautiful. But what I feel about uh, Love Actually is, yeah, because when people say like, uh, you know, I don't like Love Actually, they're like, all right, that's that's fine. Why don't you like Love Actually? They're all such terrible people. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's a rom com. Everyone rom coms <laughs> is terrible. They're all terrible. They're mm. terrible people, and usually there's like a big lie that is the the motivating force that sends mm. everything into farcical chaos. Yeah, and then you know you wrap it up at the end where you know you realize, oh, there was no need for that. We could have just told the truth and things would have been all right. Yeah. Uh, but we told a lie and it went, Whoa, fair enough. But like, uh, if you look at love actually as, yeah, they're terrible people, mm. but that's kind of the conceit behind a lot of ro- romantic things. Romeo and Juliet are terrible people. Uh, r- romantic people. Yeah, they are. They're awful. Why? Romeo? Yeah. Romeo just got out of a relationship yep. that where he like, you know, just was smothering the other person and is real bitter and he's an asshole. And, and now he's doing the exact same thing. He's jumping right into another relationship, you know, uh, with another person. Hmm. Come on. <laughs> what are you doing? Huh. What are you doing here? And then, you know, it all gets to the point where it's so toxic, they end up both dead. Hmm. That's a sign of a bad relationship. One of you dies. Eh, maybe there were some flaws in the relationship. Two of you dies. That was a bad relationship. I don't know. I think the flaws are outside of their relationship, though. Like the the, the things that the cause loverness. Yeah, the things that cause their death isn't their actions. It's people's actions around them. Okay. All right. There you go. Anyway, I think Love Actually is a good movie. Really? Um, Do you really think that? Oh, very much so. I think yeah. it has some good scenes in it. Yeah. But overall, no, no. Can't go with you there. Okay, I don't know. Fine. I disagree with you too. That rom coms, like, well, I mean, maybe some are like that. Obviously, happiest because you have to put something but, toxic into it. Well, yeah, you do. I mean, the there is like they have looking to have for a her has a lie as a, as yeah. it's kind of it's it's start it's impetus to the meeting of the two characters. But I think who's who's bad in okay? What's the what's the flaw in um, okay? I I think I think people are. Uh, selfish in, um, in love actually, uh, obsessively selfish, but I think that that is a conceit in most romantic comedies. If you, any Jennifer Lopez romantic comedy, like any, most of them, mm. you know, there's like, so, you know, uh, you know, the person who's bitter about, 
you know, something. And so, you know, I'm not going to find the right guy. Yeah, because you dated that guy who was this and this and this. And you dated that guy who was this and this and this. And you got three friends around you who don't have full personalities of their own, but are just there to service this one person who doesn't give a shit about her other three friends and will never say, but how are you guys all doing? None of that. They're just there for her. Selfish, mm-hmm. selfish, selfish, selfish. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the basis. Then there's usually the, the guy and the guy has to come up with a lie because the thing that he is, is the thing that she does not want. Like, I'm not going to get involved with another musician. Okay. I'm not a musician. What are you? A, a doctor because yeah. he's known as Dr. Dr. Piano or whatever the fuck he is over there. And so it's like, I hear you're a doctor. Yeah. I'm a doctor. Okay. I'm a doctor. So they were basing this on the lie and that's. You know, going from there. So he's a liar and she's selfish. And that's the way the romantic comedies go. And then, you know, eventually the lie will come out. They'll be upset. But then there'll be some grand gesture that'll be made. And then they're together. And it's fine. And the friends are celebrating this. Great. But we never find out anything about the friends because who gives a shit about them? That's why I recommend looking for her, everyone. It's, it uh, counters a lot of these complaints. All right. Very good. Done. Check and it, done? Check it out. Okay. So speaking of Tubi, yes, is there anything else on Tubi that you're watching? <laughs> there is something else I'm watching on Tubi. I think I have to briefly reach across the room here. Okay. Spe- speaking of vampires, which we will be in a second, uh, do you consider uh, the Twilight uh, movies romantic uh, comedies? Fil- well, romantic films. I not really. Okay, because to me it feels like all they are is a is a romance. You know, like the first one is they meet, they fall yeah. for each other, you know, uh, meet the family. Things don't work out great with meeting the family, but, you yeah. know, trying to meet the family. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, there you go. And then things. Oh, no, I guess, I mean, at some point. you know, you're, no, they are. They are romantic. Yeah, they are romantic. Right. And both of them are kind of uh, weird, but yeah. Yeah. And the guy is a liar because the guy is promising to be uh, pretending to be a high school student. Yeah. So he's bullshitting her. He's so yeah. like, hi, I'm 16. He's not. He's in his hundreds. <laughs> and uh, and her thing is like, everyone's stupid but me. Everyone in this lousy world. I'm not looking for like a high school boy because they're, they're all stupid, stupids yeah. and dumb, 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 dumbs. And like, there's all these people that are around her yeah. that are going like, Hey, you know, you're cool. We like you. I don't like you. I don't care, but you're around to service me and you just, everything is about me. And then, you know, there you go. So then his lie gets exposed and she's like, Oh, maybe. And then they, it's all selfish fucking nonsense from that point on. And that's considered like, you know, the romance film for like teenagers that's it that's the romance so that to me feels like the structure of most romances is selfishness lies uh smugness yeah uh all these negative things Mm -hmm. yeah oh i don't i don't think many people would disagree with you all right but in the world of vampires there's many different types (laughs) some are hunky boys and some are older men and we're (laughs) gonna talk about one of those the older man definitely the older man okay the oldest because man. There used to be a um, there used to be a soap opera called Dark Shadows, and uh, Dave's been watching them on uh, Tubi, and he's been letting us know what's a going on. I so, Dave, what's a going on? Well, let me tell you. That's so, a spicy a blood. <laughs> so, uh, last last episode of Dark Shadows, if everyone remembers, Laura Laura Collins, the mother of Jameson and Nora, uh, possible fire demon. Oh, I don't know what she is. Okay. Something to do with fire. Fire is a, she's all about fire. Okay, in the in this world, the supernatural elements are vampires, werewolves, ghosts, and apparently right. fire people, and maybe fire people. Yeah, 
whatever they are. But they're, they are at uh, the grave of old Ben Stokes. Okay. Barnabas Collins' faithful manservant, not really manservant, but faithful friend and, ser- and, and servant uh, back in the 18th century. Right now we're in the 19th century. We're in 1897. Back in this, back in 17-something or other, uh, Ben Stokes was uh, Barnabas's, uh, I wouldn't say friend, but I guess they were friendly. Was he kind of hypnotically controlled? Was he, nope. he a Reinfeld type nope. situation? Nope. nope. Okay. He was just uh, someone who was an actual friend. Well, an actual, yeah, he was kind of like a friend of Barnabas in a way, but, you know, not really a, you know, it's just kind of weird. Knew, knew he was a vampire. Yes, learn the truth about him. Turned but, a blind eye to that and still was friends with him, even though he was like killing people. Yes, well, okay. he tried to not didn't want to say he turned a blind eye to it, but tried to help Barnabas in any way he could oh, to try so to. So he helped him with the murders. No, no, no. Tried to help him get not be a like try to find some way to stop Angelique from what she did, oh, okay, did right. and stuff like that. Right? right, like he was. Um, so, uh, so they've opened Ben Stokes' coffin because Ben Stokes in another thing he wrote said that he would take his secret about Barnabas to the grave. And that meant to Laura Collins that in Ben Stokes grave, there was something that said the truth about what Barnabas is. Okay. And so she and Dirk Wilkins, the manliest man name of all time (laughs) are digging up the coffin when they find the book. Ooh. But as they find it, we see Barnabas appear behind them out of the darkness. And so the episode begins with Dirk, attacking Barnabas. But Barnabas easily defeats him, just grabs him by the neck and takes him down to his knees. And then he takes the book. Laura Collins wants it. Basically says, I want that book. And Barnabas says, well, I want this book. That seems to be where the argument ends, because Barnabas has it, possession being nine-tenths of the law. And then Laura and Barnabas swear to their mutually assured destruction. Oh, no. She will destroy him, and he will destroy her. All she wants, she says, is her children. And Barnabas keeps foiling her plans. After Barnabas stalks off, Laura realizes that this is the same Barnabas that she knew a hundred years ago. So she's all like, he is a freak. He's been alive for hundreds of years, like me. (laughs) Uh, Super super freaky. Bit of of a two-faced. But anyway, Dirk, of course, is understandably confused by all this. He's like, how could you know him when he was young? (laughs) What? Uh." Laura plots to attack Barnabas um, while... So one second, everyone. When he's most vulnerable, i.e. in his coffin. Okay. Because she's starting to suspect that's that where, he is not. That's where we're all the most vulnerable, to well, yeah, be honest. Well, yeah, it's true. <laughs> yes, that's why I'm going to get cremated. <laughs> Meanwhile, at Reverend Trask's school, Nora is getting in trouble from Reverend Trask's daughter, Chastity. Barnabas appears after Chastity leaves. Nora tells him that she is afraid of fire. He wants her to sit near the fire, and she mm. says, I don't want to be near the fire. I'm afraid of it. And he's like, why are you afraid of the fire, Nora? <laughs> but she can't really tell him. And he says, I think I know why. And he hypnotizes Nora. You're a snowman. <laughs> <laughs> now you know why you're... There uh, must have been some magic in that old silk hat you found. <laughs> he starts to hypnotize Nora. And then we get a cutaway to Dirk sneaking into the old house. Okay. And this cutaway is a way for us to be left in the dark of over what he actually talks to Nora about while she's in a hypnotic state. Okay, okay. So we don't know what he's done to hip- by hypnotizing her, but he's hypnotized her something. Hypnotized her to do something. Chastity returns. Uh, and, of course, she is a the neglected blood slave of Barnabas, so she's happy to see him. But she's also, uh, also scared of her father, so she's kind of like, well, you shouldn't be here. My father will get angry, and I, but I 
I'm happy to see you because I'm your slave, but at the same time, I'm scared. <laughs> and Barnabas says, you have to allow Laura Collins to see Nora. And she's all like, well, I can't. Laura my, has to see Nora. Yeah. My, Laura has to see Nora. I can't because my father doesn't like rhyming names. <laughs> and Barnabas is kind of like, hey, you're my blood slave. You cannot be disagreeing with me. <laughs> So he, he reasserts his control by biting her on the neck. Yeah, how often do you say that to me per episode? <clears throat> <laughs> Quite often. <laughs> I like Love Actually. Well, you're my blood slave, so you don't like you it. Can't, you can't like that movie. Um, I think Love Actually is a film that like pauls by further, further viewing. Like The first time you watch it, you're like, that was okay. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Then you watch it the next time, and you're kind of like, oh, a lot of jerks in this movie. <laughs> Some people are nice, but they really, it's like... And then the next time you watch it again, you're just like, oh, I can't stand these people. Like, is Rowan Atkinson an angel? <laughs> I think he might be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's great in it. But he's just doing what, he's just doing Rowan Atkinson. Yeah. I, I don't think that uh, uh, Richard Curtis wrote any of that in the script. It's probably just like salesperson, sl- you know, slowly helps uh, that guy. Yep. Hans. Slowly helps Hans. Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber. <laughs> Do they make it clear that he's Hans Gruber in both movies? Like Hans Gruber in Die Hard, and he's also Hans Gruber in Love Actually? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty clear. Okay, all right. I yeah. just want to make sure they were clear His German about accent. A lot of people don't giveaway. get that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. His name in the office, Hans. Okay. His magazine, Terrorism Today. Yeah. That they're all working at. Which also makes them terrible people, by the way. Mm. Not saying uh, they're not terrible people. <laughs> so uh, while he, so they, he goes in for the, bite, the neck bite. Meanwhile, Dirk searches through his key ring. For a key to the old house's basement. Then, uh, just one second. I think I'm turning the wrong way. Now Barnabas leaves, which gives time for Laura to arrive at the school and demands to see Nora. Uh, discomposed Chastity isn't sure what to do. She's a bit confused because she's holding up her scarf, trying to hide the fact that she's bleeding from the neck. Yeah. You don't want to tell people that. So, of course, you're very. People who've been bit by vampires are very self-conscious about it. Also, I'm not great at shaving, so I relate to this. <laughs> I always shave down. Uh, and always bite down when you're a victim. And always bite down on your victim, yes. Yeah, don't bite against the grain. You have to like lift your, your head up to show your fangs, cool. and then you come down towards yeah, the neck. classic mistake to bite up. <laughs> you, uh, you get blood up the nose. You're, mm. <laughs> you're just like, I mean, you, you don't look cool at all. <laughs> no, it's a real... Then if you got one of those Dracula cup capes... Then it like it's all in there, mm. and I was just like, "Oh, now it's down my back." <laughs> and like, I wish I could get it, uh, get it off, but like, I can't see myself in the mirror. I don't I even see if they or, is it still on me. Yeah, I got to ask a person, then I got to <laughs> kill them afterwards because they know I'm a vampire. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, please continue. Must we have a blood slave for these things? If you're smart, if you're a smart vampire. Yeah, I relate to that too. I used to be a Kelly girl, so <laughs> Kelly girl slash blood slave. It was very similar jobs. <laughs> so uh, now Laura is. Or sorry, Chastity's telling Laura that, you know, her father doesn't like visitors after school hours and blah, blah, blah. But eventually Laura is just like insistent. And so Chastity relents. It says Laura can talk to Nora. Laura can talk to Nora. Meanwhile, Dirk descends into the basement of the old house where he is shocked, I tell you. Shocked to see a coffin. A coffin. Just sitting in the basement. Right. That's attic stuff. And not only that, it's empty. Oh, that's that's a which seems better than yeah, not being. That's, like, that's, that's, yeah. It seems like the thing that you shouldn't be confused by. Yeah, you don't fill a coffin at home and then take it, <laughs> take it out. <laughs> in the basement for a while. Yeah. It's cold though. It's a root cellar. 
Like it's conceivable mm-hmm. that you could be a craftsperson, yeah, and craft a, a craft a coffin, make a like coffin, that's woodwork, yeah, yeah. That's, that's that right. makes some sense, yeah. You know, but if there was a body in it, then no, that's yeah. not a craftsperson anymore. Yeah, yeah. Unless you are a craftsperson, you're just testing it out. Yeah, that's true. So yes, Nora is brought to her mother, and Laura has come, of course, to convince Nora to leave with her. Right. Nora refuses, Ugh, telling Nora. Laura, telling Laura that she is afraid of her. And then when she says that, Laura gets this look in her face, like, "Oh, I know what's going on here." And Chastity returns with Nora's valise, but Laura dem- demurs, and she says, uh-huh. and she basically. Let's Chastity know that she knows that Barnabas was there before her because she says, I guess there were two visitors after hours tonight. And then she leaves. Right. You can tell this is the Christmas episode because it's the Valise Navidad. (laughs) (laughs) Valise Navidad. Valise Navidad. Full of Christmas things for Christmas time. (laughs) Yes. The Christmas Valise. I want to drain your neck because I'm a vampire. Oh. What songs they going to turn? Started off really quite nice, the Christmas valise, but they got kind of gory. Uh, Dirk and Laura meet in the woods. Um, and, of course, this is where Dirk tells her that he was shocked. Shocked, I tell you, to discover a coffin in a basement and all like that. But an empty coffin. It was empty. Who would keep an empty coffin in their basement? Yeah, again. I guess if it was full of recycling. <laughs> that would be odd, too. Yeah. Or, all, like, papers or stuff yeah, for, yeah. Your, for your taxes. <laughs> There's this in there is this a drawing of Dirk. <laughs> now we get a shot of Dawn. Dawn is breaking, and Barnabas returns to the old house. Close on his heels comes Laura and Dirk. Okay. She's carrying a mallet and a big old stake. Not a little stake, just a big giant yeah. stake. Where'd she get that from? I don't know. Because it's it's from a steakhouse? From a steakhouse. <laughs> she went to Chris's. It's a weird steak because it's like really thick and then has like a square end on it. Like it was yeah. Someone like spent some time on the steak. Right. They were thinking about it. It looks, you know, it's not any old steak. That's not easy to hammer that in. Like if it's a straight steak, you got like, but then that's like expanding out. That's mm. going to be tough. And you're going through the chest. Yeah. And I don't even know how tough a vampire's chest is. Yeah. Like, is it soft because it's old or is it tough because he's a vampire? <laughs> I think it's probably tough because he's a vampire. I wonder. This is when she says uh, to Dirk that Barnabas is at his most helpless because he'll, he'll be sleeping. As she descends into the basement, the more practical Dirk pulls out his revolver. And then the camera comes in on the, on the revolver. And you're like, oh, you know what hap- You know what they say about Dirk's revolver? It'll be revealed in the third act. Yeah, very good. Right? It'll be, it'll, but here's the thing. I was going to say, we never the see- best of uh, Dirk's Beatles collection. Oh, that's right. <laughs> we never see Dirk and the revolver again. What? For the rest of the scene. Chekhov is spinning in his grave. <laughs> as, you say, as you say. Yeah. That's the same joke. I don't care. <laughs> He's spinning in his grave. A coffin in a basement. Yeah. Laura opens a coffin. A resting Barnabas lays inside. Laura puts a stake against his chest and the raises the ballot saying the ballot raises the mallet saying <laughs> Oh Barnabas, when you were a small sad eyed child, could you see the future when you would be destroyed forever? And then the episode ends. Ooh. And you're like, what's going to happen next? Well, I'll tell you right now. Can I tell you something? Oh, sure. Before you do that? Yeah. Because the stakes were raised. Thank you. <laughs> all right, go ahead. Yeah. No, I appreciate all these uh, all right. things. Yeah. Uh, as Laura swings the mallet, this is like, this is where the sh- this is where it gets shitty to me. It's too bad this happened, but this, okay. is, this is what happens. All right. As Laura swings the mallet. Yeah. I'm Angelique, Angelique appears. Oh, for crying out loud. Exactly. 
And then it like appears, like not magically appears. She just runs in stage left and grabs the arm and says like, no. And goes, stop, hammer time. Do, 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 do. Uh, she appears from nowhere and quickly disarms Laura. They have a catty conversation. Laura de- de- declares that she will destroy Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Angelique declares that she will protect Barnabas at all costs and destroy Laura that night. She says, oh, Missy, don't mess with my powers. I've been around snap, a lot longer snap. than you. Snap, snap. And then, uh, then the th- thing is, like, after this, as she's leaving, yeah. Laura, like, makes these flames appear in front of her. And then Angelique's all like, ooh, flames, what, what am I going to do? Oh, no. And you're like, what? Where was all yeah. this power talk? Yeah. Where was all the power tripping? And then, uh, uh, then, you know, Laura simply says, I have some powers, too. And then she exits stage straight ahead. She just walks through the flames and she leaves. Then we cut to Magda standing by the fireplace. And Magda's standing by the fireplace for no other reason than to see Laura Collins leave uh, without a word. She just troops by and leaves without a word. It may not even be Laura Collins. Mm-hmm. Because. Mm-hmm. Because. The wonderful thing oh, no, she it, would be, it would be. It would be. It would be. Sorry. It would be. Because she did speak in this episode. I was just thinking, because of, <laughs> of the limit on, on actors. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes they'll just have like an extra play an act, an act, a character yeah. in, a, in a bit part like that. Is that like, character a puppet? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just it's better than. a mannequin than, there. Then they don't have to pay the actor and they can have more, more, more people in the show. But anyway, no, it was Laura Collins because she did speak earlier. Anyway, Angelique ropes Magda into aiding her. In Laura's destruction. See, she says she's all powerful and this and that. But then she's like begging Magda to help her kill Laura. Yeah. And Magda's like, well, why should I help you? Well, just because you're all powerful doesn't mean you want to use all the power. It's like rich people. You think like, oh, they'll spend their own money. They don't want to spend their own money. <laughs> right? <laughs> no. You know, I didn't. I didn't cheap. That's how they got rich. I didn't get all powerful by using all my powers all the time. Right? I guess. That's kind of their deal. That's billionaire talk. I guess. But Magda's like, why should I help you? And then Laura's like, or Angelique's like, well, I'll tell Barnabas that you weren't here. You're putting flowers on your on your sister's grave, and you missed this attack by Laura or by Laura and, and Dirk. Like she's just like blackmailing Magda. Yeah. Like it's just like that's not powerful. It's yeah, it's pretty Small. petty. I know. It's like uh, you buy uh, Twitter for like forty four million do- billion dollars, and you're like I need eight bucks a month. <laughs> like, what do you mean you need eight bucks a month? You had forty four billion dollars. Yeah, I need eight dollars. <laughs> like, I'm not giving you eight bucks. But billionaire. Just to sideline. Just to go to sideline for a second. Wasn't his takeover of Twitter like basically like the idea that he was going to come in and shake things up and make it into a profitable, streamlined company and 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 make and improve it and then the stock price would go up, etc. I don't know. I think that was like the idea. Okay. Sure. Not that that's worked out at all. It's just been a giant, yeah. giant uh, catastrophe. I but... need eight dollars. <laughs> what? Speaking of petty. Yeah. I need to go to Mars. I need eight bucks. <laughs> <laughs> like people, yeah, we'll pay you to go to Mars. I'm going to do the classic Andy Kaufman thing and say, "Would you want me on this show? You can vote me on or off." <laughs> Gee, I got voted off. I wonder why. Why would that be? Because the negative will always win. It's wrestling women. <laughs> the negative will always win. That's how it goes. Anyway, uh, so oh, over Magda's objections, she sends her to Collinwood to get Quentin. So, of course, Magda's like, well, I don't want to see Quentin. The guy killed my sister. And she's like, listen, we all got to work together here. Yeah. We've all had our sisters killed. We all want to, we all want to protect Barnabas, don't we? Do we, said Magda? <laughs> sure we do. We, love, not, we love Barnabas, I'm right? not quite on the same page with you vis-a-vis Barnabas, Angelique, obsessed weirdo. 
Yeah, I don't know. Angelique was great in the in the original appearance, like in the original, like when um, gee, what's her name now? When the original Lee character of the show, whose name has escaped me, right? It's been so long since we talked about her. When she first went back in the past, uh, Angelique was great. Like that, just a great character, a super, total surprise, a lot of fun, did a lot of bad things. Cool, great villain. When she reappears later on in the show, wearing a bad brunette wig and calling herself Cassandra, that's also great because you didn't expect her to return. <laughs> yeah, and it's a lot of fun because that's it's almost more like a farcical reappearance, and there's. They kind of underuse her, but it's still fun because that's a real mess that whole that whole time on the show. But this reappearance, I don't know. It just feels like they felt obligated to have Angelique as part of it. She doesn't really serve any purpose. She's just kind of there. Like in the scene, she all she seems is like weak, like a weakling. Yeah, she can't like command anyone or control anything. It's all wheedling and you know getting blackmailing people to do things for her and. This is weird. Like, why does Quentin have to be involved in this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So, so Magda goes and gets Quentin. Quentin is, Quentin is, uh, hungover. Let's put it that way. He's, he's drunk. <laughs> he's, you know, he's dissolute. His clothes are, you know, ha- half on and, and, you know, and she answers the door when Magda there and he mocks her. <laughs> and, uh, it's he's catty around there. He kind of mocks her, but he's also scared of her. Yeah. You know, like, cause, but he feels like she's done the worst she can do to him. So what, what more? And also, like, I can just be an asshole to you and that's fine. And he even attempts to attack her, but he's so drunk he just falls over and she just mocks him as well. And then, and then Magda sends him to Angelique. And so then Quentin's there and he's like, you know, got his heads in his hand because he's got a hangover. And she's like talking about Barnabas and how they have to help him and stuff like that. And Quentin's like, what, what do I have to do with this? Like, why am I here? And she says, well, you you have tried to kill Laura in the past. You know, like, you got my help to try to kill her. And I gave you, like, information that would, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, right. you know. And then she says, I need to know the source of her power. And then he tells her about this scarab that Laura has. And this is, like, the source of her power. And so Angelique then charges Magda to go to Laura's cottage, go to the old caretaker's cottage, and steal the scarab from her. Once again, Magda's like, well, no. Like, <laughs> why, why am I having to go and, and steal something? I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. But, and almost, and by the way, it's almost like Angelique is like this. Hey, you're a gypsy. You like to steal. Here's a job for Ugh. you. Yeah, exactly. So you're just like, oh boy, that's really great. Um, and then, so Angelique, of course, realizes that there's some sort of history between Magda and Quentin. You know, she's like, she's obviously can sense that these two do not like each other and there's some sort of reason. But she doesn't, I have no time for this, she says. Like, this is, you know, put your, put whatever's, you know, between you aside right now. We need to work together. We have to save Barnabas. Of course, the question (laughs) Magda and Quentin should be asking is, why? Why are we involved? Like, we don't like him. Quentin (laughs) obviously doesn't like him. And and Magda, you know, has, has nothing but contempt for him. But anyway. She demands that they work together. So at the old cottage, Laura is sitting by the fire. Magda arrives, and she tells Laura the truth. She hates Barnabas. She hates Barnabas, too. For what he did to Sandor. You know, her, her Sandor. Right. Her husband. Her power Sandor. Her <laughs> the love of her life, who is turned into, like, this blood slave by Barnabas. He has no will, no will of his own anymore. And she's, she's afraid that if Laura exposes Barnabas as a vampire... 
the resulting hysteria will also result in Sander getting killed as his creature. And so she tells Laura that the best way to kill Barnabas is with a silver bullet. And this will solve both their problems. Barnabas will be killed and Sandor will be free of his, of his power. Okay. All right. So Laura is convinced by this. Okay. Because it doesn't go, that's a werewolf thing. <laughs> no one knows. Even on this show, someone actually goes, a vampire. When they find out that Barnabas Collins, uh, Dirk says, like, she goes, Barnabas Collins is a vampire. He goes, a vampire. Like, then he realizes, oh, he's a vampire. But before that, it seems like no one quite understands what a vampire is. You know, they're like, there was a bat at my window flipping or, you know, squeaking. I wonder why there'd be a, you know, to bat be at fair, my window. In, in, uh, in our lives, if certain things were happening. Yeah. You know, and someone was, uh, you know, had anemia yeah. in your family <laughs> yeah. and stuff and little, little puncture marks and whatever. Yeah. It would take a long time before you went vampire. <laughs> like it would be, it, yeah, that, yeah. Would, that'd be like guess 25. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're right. You're yeah. right. It wouldn't be our first go to. Um, so yeah, so convinced, uh, Laura leaves the room to get to me. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Magda says, I, with my few, uh, co- you know, coins that I have, I can't afford to buy silver, but Laura says, I have money. Yeah. So she leaves the room, at which point Magda takes advantage of her absence to start searching the room. So she searches three places. Okay. She looks on the mantelpiece. Mm-hmm. She goes to the mantelpiece and she kind of moves her hands along the mantelpiece. No scarab. All right. She goes over to a drawer. She opens one drawer and a chest of drawers. Yeah. No scarab. Oh. She goes over to the settee where there's some okay. pillows. All right, I'm excited. She looks behind the pillows. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> there's a scarab. Yay! <laughs> Phew! Luckily, and Laura hid it behind going, it. Warmer. Warmer. <laughs> Red hot. Hello. <laughs> she finds a scarab. I'm a scarab. So this is the seat of Laura's power, which she's decided to hide behind a cushion. Sure. Well, not even a cushion. A, a pillow. A couple of throw pillows. Yeah. On the settee. That's where she hid her seat of her power, the scarab. So anyway, and she's then got the she scarab. moves another pillow, and it's like the Holy Grail. Like, what? What's this doing here? Just like, yeah, <laughs> someone's hiding it behind uh, uh, behind the ottoman. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> I was saying someone had hidden the Holy Grail behind the ottoman. Oh, yeah. All those yeah. sacred things are just being sure, like... Sure, yeah, yeah, so easily. There. Fine, yeah. yeah. Can you find the Holy Grail? What is it? This thing on the mantelpiece? Yeah, that's yeah, the that's Holy it. Grail. Wait, but pick pick the one. This one. It says Holy Grail on it. No, what? someone labeled it. Why did I label that earlier? You chose wisely. Yeah, because you read. <laughs> um, so, yes. So, Laura brings Magda the money. The Magda's very happy because she has both the scarab and some cash money. I don't know if she actually plans to do the whole silver bullet thing. Like, I don't know if this is, like, an actual thing in Dark Shadows that silver bullets also kill vampires. I it's, don't know. It's a purity thing, so sometimes it, they go with that. Because silver has been, yeah. Yeah, so who it's knows? pure. It's the reason that uh, it's the reason that mirrors don't reflect mm, vampires. Yeah, because they're pure and they had silver in them. But they don't have silver now, so why come they don't do now? Because they shouldn't. They shouldn't now. <laughs> There's no reason now. <laughs> that's why. That's why uh, mirrors uh, bring seven years bad luck. Oh, because they're pure. It. No, because if they're so expen, they were so expensive in those days when they were actually worth silver. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, you know, the only way to, like, make people aware of how, you know, like, you don't want to destroy this really precious thing. So let's make a really bad, bad luck out sure, of it. Sure, 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 yeah. What if, okay, but what if this? Okay. What if, like, you uh, then push the mirror over, then grab the glass, and then stab a vampire? Because mm. it's got silver in it. It's yeah. It's pure. Yeah. And, like, the vampire uh, is, like, uh, I guess the vampire could see a mirror. I was <laughs> like, why would the vampire not be able to see the mirror? <laughs> make any sense okay no no i mean 
If the silver bullet works, then conceivably the silver mirror would work. Yeah, or a silver knife. But it have to be a silver or silver knife. Yeah. Silver knife, just yeah. stab. I mean, yeah. if we're doing that, <laughs> um, it's more expensive though. So back at the old house, Angelique makes Quentin perform a ritual. Uh, so she gives him this book, Book of the Dead, which he has to read from. Oh, mighty raw, uh, with a lot of gobbledygook. Right. And then uh, she has this like kind of crude. I wrote maquette, but then I forgot forgot to look at what a maquette was. I'm sure. I'm sure a maquette is like a a, a doll, like a mannequin or something. Right. But I might be. You wrong. didn't misspell machete, right? No, no, <laughs> I did not. I spelled it with a Q. That's how you spell machete, right? With a Q. I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to watch the movie again. Oh, okay, and figure it out. Okay. Uh, so then machete don't text. <laughs> I've never seen it. Oh, there's two of them. I've never seen either. Oh, you can watch both of them on Christmas. Yeah. Hey, family, gather around. We're watching <laughs> the Machete uh, du- Duology. 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 Sure. So uh, Quentin starts to read from the book, and then Laura takes this little doll, this little kind of crude plastic, plasticine doll kind of thing, and puts it in the fireplace, and then lights the, lights the fireplace on fire, lights the wood in the fire. And uh, so we go back to the cottage where Laura Palmer suddenly seems to be feeling hot. Mm. She rubs herself like, oh, I'm warm. And she decides, I should look for the scarab. And she starts looking for the scarab and she realizes it's not behind either of these cushions. <laughs> it's gone. I hit it so carefully. Quentin continues to intone from the Book of the Dead. We cut back to Laura. Her face strangely distorted, like almost as if you're looking through at her through like through pebbled glass. Okay. It's a really interesting effect. Like her face is all weird as she pleads for help from Raw. And that's where the episode ends. Okay. So uh, we don't know what's going to happen. It might be the end of Laura, mm-hmm. or she might find a loophole again like she did last time and, and get out of it. Who knows? Who We can only wish knows? her the best. We can only hope, you know, when you have a, a witch as powerful as Angelique on your, on your case. Oh, all powerful. All powerful. Nothing can stop her. Like, Give me eight bucks. <laughs> Why? Why she need eight dollars? <laughs> her abilities, her magical abilities to plead with people. Yeah. Amazing. Very convincing. She convinced people to go to Mars. Um, anyway, anyway, everyone, that was Dork Shadows. And if you want to follow along with Dave, that was episode, any idea what the episode? Uh, I think it was 576. All right, there you go. So or go 577. to and check out uh, events. Every two weeks we do these. Every other week in between that we do um, uh, Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. Oh, sorry, episode 757. 757. Oh, that was a little big difference. Yes, it is. <laughs> and a fine plane, the 757. Um, look, listen over, over there. Pay attention. Yes. Hey, children, what's that sound? Everybody, look what's going down. It's questions. Um, last week we asked the questions. Uh, what do you plan to do between Christmas and New Year's? That special time that's called the Christmas taint. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, who Thanks. helped you along in your life? You know, that's a much sweeter uh, question than that dirty thing I just said. <laughs> uh, our first response was from our friend Louise, who, let me just say this, uh, uh, came by my home yeah, and gave me cookies. What gall? That her and her, I believe her sister, Jackie, mm. I think, uh, made, and uh, so delicious. How dare she? And I said, I said to her, do you have any for Dave? And she went, yes. And then she went off for like about three hours, mm. came back covered <laughs> in flour and sugar, and uh, really tired. She yeah. went really. She looked really tired, mm-hmm. 
And she just went, I don't have the time for this. Yeah. And uh, and she gave me a bunch of cookies and, mm. and said, uh, these are for Dave. Yeah. And she misspelled your name oh. uh, on the uh, box. Yeah. But I, I got you, though. So they're <laughs> well, there. Well, thanks. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks. I think uh, hopefully you'll enjoy them as much. I think some of them are just uh, Oreos that she bought <laughs> and just like threw in the bag. and uh, Chips Ahoy and Oreos. Chips Ahoy and Oreos, which, <laughs> you know, is not bad. Sure. Anyway, she writes, oh, because we were discussing what makes a salad dressing and what makes a salad. Oh. Is that a riddle? What makes a salad dressing? We're, we're selling out too much on this uh, show. We're being, uh, we're too pandering to uh, trying to get a larger audience. <laughs> with our discussions of, but what's a salad dressing? Does it have to be always liquid? I don't know. How many vegetables do you need for a salad? I don't know. Let's talk about that for a half hour. Where are you going, audience? Where are you going? Oh, they'll be back for Christmas. <laughs> anyway, Louise writes, for a definition of salad dressing, my sister, Jackie, referred uh, me to her food lover's companion, Culinary uh, Dictionary, which uh, says the dressing is a sauce, usually cold, <laughs> used to top salad and some cold vegetable, fish and meat dishes. She thinks it needs to be a liquid. I'd include creamy dressings like mayonnaise and Miracle Whip. Sure. We both think that Cheese Whiz doesn't cut it. Uh, she says you need at least two ingredients for a salad. That's silly. Otherwise, you just call it an appetizer or a side dish. Hmm. But from isn't a, a salad a side dish anyway? Oh, well, there you go. Uh, from Christmas to New Year's, uh, we'll be making a list, checking it twice. We're going to find out which movies are now available on our streaming services, which aren't <laughs> naughty but nice. Mm. Especially ones with award buzz like the Banshees of Ed Sheeran. Wait, no. That's in a Sheeran. <laughs> there you are. Uh, uh, yep, I watched it. It's not what I expected, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. <laughs> um, Peter Ayers responds. Yes. I'm so glad someone else picked up uh, the salad gate baton. <laughs> My inner pen- pendant was yeah. triggered by the assertion that Cesar Cardini invented his eponymous salad in California. I remember reading that it started off in Mexico and spread to America later. <laughs> My Iranian in-laws make a mean salad olove, an Iranian staple with its origins in Russia. Uh, cue another classic salad tale, Care of Wikipedia. Oh. All right, here we go. I'm ready this is for from this. Wikipedia, so Epic. take it with a grain of salt, especially... If that's part of the salad. Yes. Let's err on the side of caution. The classic Russian salad was invented... I'm going to do it like this. Okay. The classic <laughs> Russian salad was invented in the 1860s mm. by a cook of Belgian origin, Lucien Oliver, the chef of Hermitage, one of Moscow's most celebrated restaurants. I didn't know it was a restaurant. That was a museum. Olivier's, Olivier's salad quickly became immensely popular with Hermitage... Hermitage? Yeah, regulars yeah, right. and became the restaurant's signature dish hmm. at the turn of the 20th century one of oliver's sous chefs ivan ivanov went on to fight iron man no he wasn't that. attempted to steal the recipe oh no <laughs> while preparing the dressing one evening in solitude as was his custom oliver was suddenly called away taking advantage of the opportunity ivanov sneaked into oliver's private kitchen and observed his mise en place which allowed him to make reasonable assumptions about the recipe of Oliver's famed dressing. Ivanov then left Oliver's employee and went to work as a chef for Moskva, a somewhat inferior restaurant, hmm. where he began to serve a suspiciously similar salad. <laughs> One of the first printed recipes for Oliver's salad called for half a hazel grouse, two potatoes, one small cucumber, 
three to four lettuce leaves, three large crayfish tails, a quarter cup cubed aspic, one teaspoon of capers, three to five olives, and one and a half uh, tablespoons Provençal dressing mayonnaise. Mmm, now I'm hungry. <laughs> there we go. Hmm. That was my Wikipedia voice. Oh, I see. Is that what Jimmy Wales sounds like? I don't know. Okay. I have no idea. It's a bit... Uh, there's a guy that sometimes we look up recipes for on ta- on the YouTube. Yeah. And he talks like this <laughs> when he's setting up the recipe. And it makes it very annoying <laughs> to listen to them. Wow. All right. Lisa Williamson writes. And Lisa, of course, you know. I know. From home. I know from home, yes. And you also know from um, Horse Mysteries. I do know her from Horse Mysteries. The co-host of Horse Mysteries. What's Horse Mysteries about? Why don't you listen to the title? (laughs) That's what it's about. It's clear. It's basic. It's uh, to the point. Uh, And last time you learned what horse whispers were. And what's what's the deal with them? You want to know? That was a fun episode. Yeah, you should listen to it. It's available uh, wherever you listen to this. I got to blab a lot because I have thoughts about horse whispers. Yeah, but he uh, whispers them, so you can't you, really hear If you them. want to know them, check out the episode. Lisa Williamson writes and says, Number one, what do I plan to do between Christmas and New Year's? Why, watch Dave finish up our bathroom project, of course. <laughs> it's beginning to look a lot like pressure <laughs> to finish <laughs> that Pressure's freaking on, on Dave. It'll haunt him to his grave. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. When Dave gets to his grave, there's going to be death there, and he's going to be pointing Christmas Carol style, <laughs> but to like a bathtub that's like a couple of feet over. Like finish that first. Oh no! And he pulls his his robe open, and there's like a sink there. <laughs> Shower. These are want and need. <laughs> um, number two, who helped me along in my life? I was fortunate to have a lot of people. My mom, in particular, she was wise, smart, nurturing, and a caring person who uh, read people well. My brother and I are polar opposites in our approach to things, and yet my mom dealt with us both in a seamless seamless way. My Uncle Earl was very helpful uh, to me in a very different way. I attended a seminar through work where a psychologist was talking about uh, what is important to a young person growing up. And he said it was a person not in the immediate family. It was was a person uh, not in the immediate family takes an interest in the child. My Uncle Earl was that for me. He was supportive and proud of my accomplishments and believed in me. I think you need someone like that in your life and also outside of your immediate family. My Uncle Earl was my great uncle, my late grandmother's older brother. I was fortunate to have a couple of other people uh, like that as well. Our old vet, Dr. Uh, John Gilray, and my old riding coach, Jackie Oldham. All have since passed, but I think of them all regularly. Right. And then it uh, brings us to the, I think it's the final uh, letter on this page, which is Edward Dragansky in his classic Edward Dragansky position. Yes. Of the final uh, letter on the Sneaky Dragon webpage. We got other things. We got emails. We got stuff. Yeah. More stuff to read. But I'm just saying on this page, there's Edward <laughs> where he classically is. Yes. He says, hello, all. (laughs) I have the same work holidays as David. We are off until uh, New Year's Day. Nice. So I have some time on my hands. Unfortunately, the time will be spent resting and patiently uh, achieving some wellness. Susan and I both tested positive for COVID two days ago. Oh, no. And we're just riding this thing out now. So many people I know have that right now. So I'm sorry you're going through that. Uh, Christmas plans are all canceled or postponed until next week when we finally test negative. 
The arrival of an Arctic blast is blowing through as I write this, with temperatures plummeting into single digits and the wind chills even lower. I have to say that my symptoms are rather mild. Poor Susan is having a worse time with all this, so I'm pleased that I'm feeling well enough to take care of her. These things always work out somehow, huh? Uh, one thing I've never heard mentioned about experiencing COVID are the wild dreams one has. Realistic, vivid dreams about all sorts of stuff. I met Leonard Nimoy in one dream last <laughs> night, and he looked as he did back in 1966 as Spock, and that was pretty cool. I won't bore you with the surrealistic nature of any of my dreams, but they're taking up space in my head every night. Well, if you're in space, then Spock's a good guy to have around. Yeah. You know, he handles the surreal stuff real good. <laughs> Keep turning to him and just going, huh? He's like, eh, it's not logical to me. I don't think so. I don't, I'm crazy shit. Like, Spock, why are you swearing? Because I'm the modern Spock. Ah, the modern Spock does swear sometimes. You're right. Good point. Um, if I feel better after Christmas, I will find the time to see my kids and folks since I have gifts for them. Everyone uh, is around, so that's comforting at least. Then I have to put all this Christmas stuff away at some point. So uh, so there, there is time available, and I must use it wisely before 2023 starts up. I've had mentors, teachers, and counselors all help me at the many stages in my life. And in many of the cages, they were case, cages. Many of the, in most cases, they were just doing what they were paid to do by helping me. I can think of one friend who gave me uh, any amount of free guidance. That would be my fellow artist, Phil Boatwright. Phil is the older brother of Todd, one of the closest friends I grew up with. Uh, I was always at their house. Sometimes Todd would get annoyed that I was at their house. <laughs> I spent much of my time watching uh, my older brother Phil draw and illustrate, and I learned so much from watching Phil, and later when I had questions about following him into illustration and the advertising industry, Phil offered uh, me all the free advice he had. Phil knew all the pesky, drilled down between the crack stuff to do, how to promote oneself, how to get your work photographed, and how to present it properly to the right people. Phil didn't keep any of it to himself. I went to him because Phil was very successful at what he did, and uh, even though I didn't want to do exactly what he did, he did put me on a path that I could trust. Phil is still a working illustrator, but changed the focus of his career about 10 years ago. I think Phil got a little tired of dealing with reps and clients, as he did uh, most of his work for publishing. So he took a turn and is now a self-promoted portraiture artist, probably one of the best working today. Uh, Phil's price for a portrait starts at $7,500 and then goes up for a series of portraits done privately all by Phil himself. You won't believe these are paintings when you see them, but this is the same guy I used to bug and watch when I was a kid. <laughs> Thanks for the help, Phil. Well, I don't believe it. I'd like to see these myself is what I say. Yeah. Wait a second. Someone put a link up here. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'm shown up here. Very good. So there is a link there if you want to see that. Oh, that Stay warm and healthy, everyone. Bundle up and keep each other cozy. Happy holidays to Dave, Ian, and all my sneakers worldwide. P.S. Dave, mm. we expect a full report on the bathroom when I get back. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Wow. Well, everyone. That sounds like something Chuck Berry would have said. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, we, got a, we got an email. This, okay. came, this actually came last week, but it came too late talk about on the show it's too late david oh it's, it's too, too late so we're gonna move it till the next week uh so this is from will and will writes to say hi will uh his uh subject is notes on number 574 sctv slash bob and doug oh very good okay can I say something before I begin? No. Uh, former guest of the show and friend of mine currently, Shane uh, McCarthy, yep. 
Um, his two of his favorite characters yes. in a cartoon yep. are from this uh, movie Brother Bear, and it's these two moose, <laughs> and the two moose are played by Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas. Okay, and they do their Bob and Doug characters. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing: he'd never heard of Bob and Doug. So he just thought these were hilarious uh, moose characters. Yeah, yeah. And one day he's tell- telling me about them. He's like, oh, they're the best. They're so funny. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're doing Bob and Doug. Oh, what? I, what are you talking about? You know, Bob and Doug. No, I don't know what you mean. What? You don't know Bob and Doug? Oh, come here. And I showed him. And I was like, oh. Yeah. So I got to like expose him to uh, Strange Brew and the old Bob and Doug things. And, cool. Yeah, but he loved uh, those characters. Please continue. Some notes on the Bob and Doug chat. Yes. The other cast members likely weren't in the film because, first, they weren't really involved with Bob and Doug in general, despite the variety show Takeover two-parter in season four, because Rick and Dave did everything after hours, and second, the phenomenon caught everyone a bit off guard. Mm-hmm. The album happened because Rick went to Hebrew school with Perry Goldberg, who was working at Anthem Records, Rush's label, see where this is going, and invited him to an SCTV taping. Goldberg pitched them the album idea. Anthem got Mercury to dis- distribute, and since Rick also went to grade school with Geddy Lee, who was a McKenzie fan, Ged agreed to do the single. Kablam! Massive sales, more attention. Fun fact number one, I'm pretty sure Take Off is still Geddy's highest charting song. A third reason may be that John Candy was offered going berserk, and Rick and Dave decided they could get a deal as well, rightly, so they left SCTV to do it. Fun fact number two... Paul Dooley was in both films. Oh, let's squeeze in one more fun fact. A shout out to Angus McInnes as Jean LaRose in Strange Brew, also known to nerddom as Gold Leader in Star Wars. And that is from Will. And he, Thanks, Will. He uh, points out he's formerly known as Marcus, but he also he uses Will now. All right. But we knew him as Marcus in the early days of the show. Another early listener. Sure. Long time listener. My gosh. Yeah. Always surprises me when people put up with us this long. Yeah, I'm surprised that both of us have. <laughs> we have no choice. No. We, we signed that. De- we signed that contract with the devil. Yep. All right. I'm just going to leave for a second again. All right. I'm going over here. I'm walking across the room. After midnight myself. to the bag yeah, and the box that's under it. Dave's going walking. Do we have a pair of scissors or something? Well, there's some scissors. No, we don't. But I'll try and find some. Ian's going to find scissors while I. So, everyone, this was a pleasure to find in the mailbox a little while ago. Thank you. This is a another gift box from Australia. This is from Mick Elliott. And Mick was so kind as to spend half of his income for the year in postage to send this from Australia for us. Show me disembowel myself. Not following safety procedures. <laughs> Maybe I can just pull this tape off here, actually. I hope this is exciting. All these sound effects... Terrible gas. Murder. He's unboxing videos are really where it's at. (laughs) So the kids want to watch. Streaming on Twitch. People opening boxes. Mick, you put your address on on the box and then you had to cover it up with all the paper. I'll take that. See, let's open this up if I can. Eh. Oh, a card. Ian and David, it says. I have to open it up. Oh, it's a cute Santa Claus. It says, Season's Greetings. And inside it says, To Ian and David, Thanks for another year of podcasts from the Sneaky Dragon universe. Hope this box of Australian treats reaches you in time for the festive season. Keep sneaking in 2023. 
McElliot. And he says, P.S. David, I was sorry to hear about your pickpocket experience. So enclosed a replacement wallet for your troubles. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. So, oh, once again, uh, Ellen's party mix looks pretty good to me. Glycerin, glycerin candies. That's Dave's jam. Very explosive. Dave's jam. Killer pythons. More glycerin candies. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <gasps> A Tintin wallet. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Wow. Thank you. Oh, amazing. Love it. It's official. I'm a Tintin fan. Oh. For, for Ian, some Caramello Koalas. And then some Tim Tams. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mick. That's wonderful. That's, that's what doing this show is all about. Getting candies from Australia. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. You can put it on the floor. I'll clean it up. All right. I, do, I took a video of that, and I'm uh, right now. And I'm now looking and going like, was the video just of my thumb? <laughs> I guess we'll see. So that's could also have, could have been. That's also good. Yeah. Just we'll, to... we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Although that's fantastic. Thank you so much. That is fantastic. Hand me uh, one of those caramel koalas. Actually, oh, I'll take okay. one of those. There you go. Uh, what was the first question you wanted to ask? What was that? What was the oh, first, yeah, first question one you wanted? Was, what is something strange that your uh, family did? Okay, yeah. I think yes. none of that recorded. Excellent. Well done, everybody <laughs> involved in that procedure. Excellent. Uh, oh, dear. I'm a dumb dumb from Dumbtown. Oh, dear. Yeah, what is something odd that your family did? Not necessarily like uh, something that's like a, a, a painful memory, but as Dave said, you know, uh, Santa would bring the tree. That's a little odd. So something like that. So the other, other day, uh, Lisa... There's a fire going on in here. Yeah, uh, Lisa and the girls and I, we uh, we had a fun we had a fun Saturday. Uh, Lisa had to get a her haircut in Vancouver, so we decided to make a day of it. We drove we drove in with Lisa, Mary, and I. Mm-hmm. Eve was already in town because she went to a concert with some friends the night before, and so Lisa got her haircut. Mary and I went to uh, we went actually just went over to um, to uh, uh, Golden Age Collectibles and just kind of looked at the mm-hmm. books there for a while, and then we wandered back over, picked up Lisa. And then we drove over and picked up Eve, and then we went to the Panto. We went to the East Van Panto mm. to see the Little Mermaid. And that was a lot of fun, of course. The Panto's a lot of fun. And so we went to the 2 o'clock show. We got out about 10 to 4, and then we zipped over to Martini's. We got mm-hmm. there at 4 o'clock. We put our name down for a two-hour wait. <laughs> we had right. to wait two hours because the restaurant is closing. Right. This is a restaurant that, boy, we've probably been going to since we were in our 20s. Oh yeah, uh, for a long so we've been going there for a long time, and it's a favorite I used of mine. To live about a block from there. Yeah, so. you live. Yeah, if you could walk straight through the building mm. between you well, and Martinis, yeah, <laughs> but uh, you would. Yeah, you were just so close to it, and so we commonly ate there when when we were younger. And then, you know, of course, I always liked it, so I brought the family there over time, and and the girls ha- also love it. And so we were p- totally willing to wait the uh, the two hours. We went. We just went to a coffee shop for a while and. The girls had some coffee and, and we ate a little pre-dinner snack. And then we walked over to Pulp Fiction and I found a trollop book I didn't have. So that was very exciting. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then um, we went to the restaurant and we had we had our meal. My personal favorite is their uh, chorizo penne saute, which I love. So that was the last time I'll ever have that. And Mary asked an interesting question during the, during the meal. She said, uh, what is a food dish 
that you think about all the time but can never have again? Mm. And so that's the question. Our second question this week is, what is a food dish that you think about all the time but can never have again, like my chorizo penne saute from Martini's? I can never have that again. It's gone now. The restaurant is closed. It's The, the owner is retired. And uh, yeah, I also think about... The Caesar salad from La Masia. That is oh, yeah, the yeah, best yeah. Caesar salad I've ever had in my life. I've never found anything close to it. The closest I found is at the Poor Italian, that restaurant on um, First uh, near Renfrew. Okay, that's a, the second best Italian or second best Caesar salad I've ever had in Vancouver. Ah, so I do recommend their Caesar salad there. Okay. But anyway, hey, if you want to tell us about your food dish that you can never have again that you think about often, or something weird that your family did. Yeah. That you thought was perfectly normal until you found out that no one else did it. <laughs> you can write to us here at Sneaky Dragon. Our, of course, our website is sneakydragon.com. You'll find this episode there. And underneath it, you can leave your thoughts and prayers. You can also email us at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. True. It's an email address. Too true. If you want to send us candy like uh, the greatest listener in the world, McElliot. Yeah. People say that Australian candy is the best in the world. And I think, uh, unless someone proves it's different, uh, I think we're going to have to go with that. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're right. Australian, I guess, is the best. Uh, that's, no, that's, is how, better. that's the way it is. Yeah, it's no uh, better than candy. Anyway, if you want to do that, we have, a, we have a snail mail address on our website. Just go to the Contact Us page. You'll find it there. Hey, we're also on Facebook at Sneaky Dragon. We're on a thing called Twitter. A little thing called the same. Crazy little thing called <laughs> Twitter. We pay, we pay uh, currently we're paying $8 a month for our blue check mark for Sneaky yep. Dragon. And uh, I'll have a blue sneaky check mark underscore for eight bucks. Dragon. Yeah. Right there for you. So, everyone, hey, from me to you, from Ian, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> we wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Happy New Year. Well, of course, we'll be back again before the New Year, but let's just pretend that, you know, yeah. this is all goes in the package. Thank you for listening to this show. Cut yourself some slack this uh, season. <laughs> yes. Have some fun. Don't get as neurotic about it as Just, Dave does. Yeah, don't. Yeah, listen, I'm I'm definitely having a half-ass Christmas, so if anyone <laughs> wants to join me in a half-ass Christmas, we'll put it together, make a full ass. I'll be fine. <laughs> yes. And yeah, the weather hasn't really cooperated with my last minute shopping. Plans. Oh no, the weather has just gone. <laughs> Screw you to everything. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's the thing. But you know what? It's all right. It's, okay. it's all fine. You know what's fun about Christmas? Your friends and you, your family. You know something? Let me tell you something about Christmas. Dave, let me tell you something about Christmas. <laughs> Ian's drunk. I'll tell you something. Hey, come here. Yeah. Come here. Lean in. Lean sure. in. Let me your Uncle Ian tell you something. <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing. That first Christmas with Joseph and Mary, they had plans and those plans all went to hell. <laughs> what? They just went to hell. They went like, we've got no reservation. No reservations? Yeah, they're all full up. What they have to do? Had to make do. Had to go. And, uh, the baby got born in a manger. Yeah. You know what? And so Christmas, the spirit of Christmas is you got plans. They're out the window, and you're making do, and you're spending time sleeping with an ox, and uh, and that's still fine. That's what the Christmas thing is. Sure. And then some friends drop by, and they give your kids some myrrh, and you don't know what that's about, and you're like, ah, oh, it's fine. Oh, there's gold. That's good. One of them got a good yeah, gift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so on and so forth. And then a drummer boy shows up, plays a little drum. That's eh, what Christmas is all about. Yeah, the myrrh part of the the Three Wiseman song, it's gloomy sounding. Yeah. It's all about the tomb and all that stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a huge myrrh mystery. <laughs> that was all about. Anyway, happy 
Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy holidays. And uh, have fun, everyone. We'll see you on the other side. Stay loose. Next week, Jason Dedrick joins us. Mm-hmm. Has he agreed? No. <gasps> Bye. Way to build suspense.